0: the yeshiva.net.
1: writes, Good evening, Rabbi. I came across your classes. I started to listen to many of them, and I really, really enjoy them, especially your series on Emunah. I like the whole outlook towards Judaism that you develop in the classes, but it's really bothering me. I had many teachers, and many rabbis over the years, and they all spoke about Judaism. But it sounded like a very different Judaism than I hear in your classes. And I have to say that I'm really confused. Sometimes you could say, Shivim ponem there are 70 faces to the Torah. There are different interpretations to one thing in Torah. But nonetheless, there seems to me that there is a blatant contradiction. The way I grew up and my education was always that God is very harsh. God punishes everything that you do wrong. According to some, if you do a few things wrong, he will take away your share in the world to come for eternity generally an approach very much based on fear, on dread. I was told if I do this, I will get punished this way. If I don't do this, I will get punished this way. In your classes, I don't hear a lot about harshness and negativity. I hear a lot about love, but I'm not sure that you're teaching Judaism. I want to know who got it right, you or them. I barely hear them talk about love. And you, I don't know, it's like you don't even acknowledge that God is so harsh. I'm hoping they are wrong and you're right, but I don't think so. I think you're probably wrong, because that's what I heard from most people, and that's what's ingrained in my bones. I remember from all my education and from all these types of Gemara's that 99.9% of people are going to go to hell, at least for a long while. Why don't you never say this? Do you deny this truth? Do you not believe in punishments? And if God really loves us so much, why all these rules, endless rules and prohibitions, 248 positive rules and 365 negative prohibitions? I heard you say once something that made sense to me. A father or mother loves their children. Why would a father or mother love loves their children make a system that make most of the children miserable and dreadful and basically end up in purgatory with pain and suffering for every small wrong thing they do? Why would somebody think that God, who loves us, would create a whole system full of harshness and punishment? This is a good argument. However, it seems like People don't talk about this idea much. I don't really understand why God has to be so harsh. Why are all the tzaddikim shaking in dread from the day of judgment? Why is everybody so scared of Yom Hadin? If I'm about to go see my loving father, I shouldn't be scared. I should look forward to it. Maybe nervous, but why scared? Why are so many Jews scared? And sometimes the more religious, the more scared. I'm a 17-year-old boy. I dropped out of Yiddishkeit at the age of 15. I'm working slowly on coming back. Like all of us, I have questions. Please continue your classes. I really love them, but I don't think they're true. (laughs) Okay. Thank you for the vote of confidence and thank you for the love. This is another email from parents, a father and a mother, after expressing thanks. I heard a lot of your classes. I have to say that they changed my perspective on Judaism from dreary fear to excitement. But I don't understand. If what you're saying is true, why are we not taught all of this in school? I grew up in very good Jewish schools. The way I experience Judaism has always been and will always be through fear. And it's still today. I, my children go to good schools, and yet nobody I don't see is giving them confidence to find and use their God-given talents for a good cause. They're often crushed and repressed. They don't tell these children that their potential is infinite. Why aren't they teaching the kids about the love God has for them? Why do they put nonsense into kids from a very young age and stealing in them such profound dread and fear and terror? I really don't understand this. We in our home have learned from your classes to try to let our children know how much Hashem loves them at every, cha- every chance we get. But my child will sometimes tell her younger sister, you're going to go to Gehenna, you're going to burn in purgatory because you touched a marker on Shabbos. My younger girl is frightened that she's going to burn in this hot oven because she touched this marker. I tell her, chas v'shalem, you're not going to go to Gehenna. And my kid always argues with me and say, of course we learned that in school. If you touch Muktzah and Shabbos, you go to Gehenim. Hashem punishes you. In one class, they even taught seven-year-old girls about covering their feet and they said that if not, their mother's are going to put them in buckets of hot water, water of three or 4,000 degrees. Beerfoot, the mother is going to have to put their girls into this. What kind of teacher, what kind of system, what kind of school scares little children like this? Forgive me, but this is ridiculous and absurd, although I grew up with it. Somehow I don't understand what is happening. I am fed up with a Judaism that is all based on fear and dread and Gehenna and God being the worst enemy who you're always terrified of. Okay. But I want to know your opinion about this. Here's a letter from a girl. I'm in college. I'm studying art. I'm going into social work. I want to incorporate art therapy. I moved a month ago to a non-Jewish neighborhood in Brooklyn. I'm finally free to shed my religious trauma. I grew up in Borough Park, a very, very religious family, and I'm traumatized. Now I'm no longer religious. For the first time in my life, I don't have Pesach right in my face, and the freedom has fell down in my soul. Pesach was always the antithesis of freedom. Now I'm not going to celebrate Pesach and finally, I'm going to experience mancherusenu for the first time in my life. Nobody's screaming about matzah, morer, haroises, kazesim, achilles, pras, wine, this type of wine, that type of wine. Do you have a Did you say the hagoda, Did you finish the hafikoimah? You can't eat this, you can't do this, you can't that. Everybody is stressed out. As you know, I wrote to you my first letter 10 years ago. I have quite a way to go. I am deeply, deeply traumatized, but I came to a point where I can't live in a closet filled with skeletons, demons, and fear. I gave it all I got to try to fix how I experienced Judaism that I grew up with, but it was too diseased, and unless I amputated it from my system, it was going to take me with it, and I would drop dead. So I decided to choose life, my life, my freedom, my light, One day I'll be strong enough to share with others the damages done to me, the incredible amount of trauma caused by preaching fear all in the name of God. Everything was God, God, God. Until then, I'm continuing on my healing journey because fear could never be the dictator of my life. I thank you for all of your assistance and advice over the years. I will continue to be in touch with you, but I wanted to share this new move in my life. I got around uh, 50 letters of this nature. I'm going to read one more. Dear Rabbi, it's a long overdue mail of thanks to express my gratitude to you for ba- playing a big role in transforming my life. I was brought up as a youngest child at home, one of 14 children. My parents were Holocaust survivors. My father was an unbelievable Yireh Shemayim and an Oved Hashem. He really feared Hashem and he served Hashem. However, probably in response to his intense suffering that he experienced during the the Holocaust, out of desperation to have erlich children, religious children, Sirius Oevdei Hashem, with the same level that he was accustomed to from his upbringing in pre-war Eastern Europe, and that he himself lived by, he raised us with extreme intensity and strictness in relation to anything to do with Yiddishkeit. And I'm sure it stemmed from a good-hearted place. But the fact is, my upbringing was oppressive, it was heavy-going, it was full of difficulties... I felt like my home was a place where you were choked. I was always made to feel that I never measured up to standard. I was never good enough. I was undeserving of anything good. Guilt and feeling unworthiness were my constant companion when I was growing up. I felt guilty for never being good enough for my father, never being good enough for Hashem. I was sure that it was a huge disappointment to God and that I was failing miserably at the inevitable losing battle of life. I would be severely punished. I was the outcast. although I was taught never to give up the fight. Life was meant to be hard. Life was meant to be miserable. Life was meant to be harsh. This is what Judaism was about. Never give up doing the ruts and Hashem lest you disappoint Him and get even more punishment and then you'll suffer even greater consequences for giving up the fight because you don't want to be miserable. No, continue being miserable and continue fighting to be miserable and then you'll get your ultimate reward in this infinite bliss. And of course I felt guilty for having these emotions because they're negative ones and I knew that for this I will be punished even more. I really, really went through decades of unique, unique suffering and oppression. She then goes on to describe some very difficult experiences in her life. She says, one day, I don't know how, but I came across a class of yours on the website theyeshiva.net. I listened to it, and I felt that there was a message of healing here for me. Since then, I have listened, I think, to hundreds and hundreds of classes It transformed my life and perspective on Judaism. But I really have to understand something. All these teachings that you talk about, why didn't I hear them in school? Are you inventing them in the name of Judaism? Are you preaching authentic Judaism? Or are you actually being sly? You know what people want to hear, and you're selling them a Judaism that feels good so you could become a guru. Please tell me the truth. Are there sources to anything you teach? It's a very long letter, but I'm just getting to the crux of it, which I think is relevant to the class. Okay, you see the questions. Why are you sighing? I chose to read these questions because From conversations with literally hundreds, maybe thousands of people face-to-face and through writing, similar ideas, sentiments, and feelings come up constantly. At a live class that I gave for a while, and somebody participated in it, whenever I used the word love, at the end of the class he would come to me and he would say, this Yiddishkeit that you invented... Does it have any basis in authentic Judaism, or is it another religion that you are selling? And it was hard for him and others to believe that Rabbi Y.Y. Jacobson was not another reformer (laughs) trying to create a new religion. Now, I can't convince anybody. However, I could present some sources and intelligent people can then analyze them on their own and see what we're talking about. As always, we post all the sources I'm going to share, are going to be posted on below the video on the yeshiva.net, so you could look up these sources afterwards if uh, you so wish and study them inside. I would vouch to say that this, this very question that has been presented here this evening... This very dilemma is one of our great challenges. It's one of our great challenges for two reasons. First of all, Mitzah de Gavre, and second of all, Mitzah de Number one, it causes people tremendous amount of pain and suffering and untold misery and agony. Sometimes people share it, sometimes they repress it. Sometimes it's so much part of their upbringing and life, they don't even know that there's something unusual about it. Imagine when you're a very young child, somebody comes and places three washing machines on top of you. One washing machine on your right shoulder, the other washing machine on your left shoulder, and the other one somewhere on your back. Besides that, a heavy rock goes on top of your head, and you grow up feeling that burden, you don't even know that there's something strange about it. All you know is that you have not a moment of freedom, not a moment of serenity, not a moment of relaxation. So sometimes it's so ingrained in people that they don't even realize how limiting it is and how miserable it is and how much opportunity there is for a different perspective that creates so much more joy and love, and serenity, and simcha sachaim positivity, in people's life. Number one. Number two, it's one of the great misconceptions that so many people have about Judaism. I can't tell you how many people I have met and I have read from, and many others have written this and communicated this, of how deeply, deeply alienated they feel from Judaism because they feel that it's a choice between a life of freedom versus a life of never-ending fear, dread, and terror, and negativity. And at some point, a person feels enough with so much negativity. And sometimes it takes them decades to rediscover that maybe, maybe there was something they didn't see or something they, didn't ta- ta- they weren't taught or they didn't observe. In fact, if you go back to history, you will see that the two maybe two of the greatest downfalls of history came from this exact misconception. And I'll specify what I mean. The first sin of humanity, the first transformation of the world, where basically the world became disaligned with itself, with its true source, was, of course, the eating from the Eitz Hadas, the eating from the tree of knowledge. How did the serpent managed to persuade Chava created by Hashem herself to eat from the tree. So the Possek says in Parshas Beresh that the snake told her <speaking> Hashem knows Ki <speaking> the day you eat from it your eyes will open up and you yourselves will become divine knowing good and evil. So Rashi Quoting the Medrash Rabbah in Bereshis, meaning this is a teaching of Rashi, but it's a teaching of any from the Talmudim, from the Talmudic sages in Medrash. Wonders, what's the big deal? So God knows that the day you eat it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God. So what's the problem? Why does He not want you to be like God? So Rashi call umon, es bnei Every craftsman loathes, he hates, he despises those who share a similar craft, because of competitiveness, because of competition. There is envy, there is the challenge, I want to win, I want to be better. (laughs) The serpent says, God ate from that tree, and he created the world, and he doesn't want competition in this world. (laughs) If you eat from the tree, you'll have the same code, you'll have the same knowledge, you'll have the same skill and ability. In other words, you're going to be an equal. Nobody wants equals. We want inferiors, we don't want equals. In other words, what was the first argument that the serpent inculcated into the psyche of Chava is God is trying to control you. The worst thing he is afraid of is equality. You're going to be too big. You're going to be too powerful. He needs to keep you small so he can become big. He will despise if there is competition between you and him. What do we see from here? We learn from here something extremely powerful. The first cause of the greatest sin of humanity was a misunderstanding of the relationship between Hashem and the human being. This was the cause of the Chet Eitz adas. It was an understanding. God is this powerful, powerful, big creator. I'm this serious midget. All he wants is, keep it this way. And that's why he gave me this mitzvah not to eat from the tree. As a result of this, Chava rebels. Chava revolts. I don't want to be that loser. I don't want that. He doesn't want competition. Why? He's afraid of competition. I will show him. A complete distortion and misunderstanding what even God represents, what a mitzvah represents. But it repeats itself again. Where does it repeat itself again? In Parsha's Dvarim, Moshe Rabbeinu is recounting the journey of the Jewish people out of Egypt through the desert, And when they send the spies to the Holy Land and they come back and they dissuade the Jewish people from going in because of the great giants, what does Moshe say? You gossiped in your tents. And you said, Because God hates us, he took us out of Egypt to give us into the hands of the Emirate nation to obliterate us, to destroy us. So Rashi quotes the words, Hashem The Jews said, God hates us, and that's why he took us out of Egypt. And Rashi says, Vuhu oyev Really, he loves you. He's in love with you. Aval atem but you despise him. This is an illustration to what people say. al de aloch. What is in your heart on the one who loves you, that's what you think he is feeling towards you. What you're feeling towards him, you project in his feelings towards you, even though it's completely non-true. Before, Rashi lived many, many years before uh, psychoanalysis and psychology. But Rashi here tells us a principle. Basically, the way I think about you is the way I decide you're thinking about me. I don't know you. I know the you the way I define you. What's the expression? A philosopher once said, we don't love other people. We love our version of other people. So Rashi is telling us we don't hate other people, we hate our version of them. I have a certain version of you. This is what I concoct in my mind. As a result of that, I develop certain emotions towards you. Based on this, I am certain that when you say certain things to me, this is what you mean. How can it be different? I know exactly what you're feeling about me, but it's based on how I'm feeling about myself and how I'm feeling about you, based on how I'm feeling about myself. Is this confusing for the men? Like all the women are nodding, and the men is like, where he's going with this? In relationships, this is one of the mo- <laughs> You have this with your husbands, right? <laughs> I understand. In relationships, this is one of the most important tools in life to be able to distinguish between your thoughts about the other person to the other person's reality. The way you're interpreting their words or their actions and actually the meaning of their words and actions. So what is Rashi telling us here? Jews had a conception, God hates us. He took us out of Egypt, of course, because he hates us. He hates us. He did the ten plagues, of course, because he hates you. He took you to Mount Sinai, of course, that's what you do when you hate somebody. That's what you do. He wants to take you into Eretz Yisrael, of course, because he hates us. B'Sin Hashem oisano. This was the beginning of the downfall of all of civilization at the first moments of creation, and this becomes the downfall of the Jewish people. I don't know if I can, exa- even if I try to exaggerate, I don't know if I could even exaggerate when I say that this understanding of Judaism is one of the furthest things from authentic Yiddishkeit. And it can only come from people who have absolutely no clue in the most fundamental principles of what God is, what Torah is. What mitzvah says. Anybody who studies Tanakh. Anybody who is sensitive to the spirit, the energy and the message of Tanakh. Anybody who knows anything about Tayosh HaBekzav or Tayosh HaBalpeh. Bavli Yerushalmi Medrashim. Rishonim Acharoinim. Kabolem Musa Ashkofa, Machshava, Chsidus. Couldn't entertain such nonsense that has absolutely no basis in authentic Judaism. There are different approaches in Yiddishkeit, no question. There's the approach of Musar, there's the approach of Chassidus. I'm talking about authentic Chassidus. I'm not talking about Kugel. There's the approach of Musar, there are harsher approaches, there are more positive approaches, there's the derech of Yireh, there's the derech of Avad, the path of awe, the path of love. But even the harshest approach in Musar has nothing to do with these complete alien doctrines that people as a result of their own misunderstanding or their own pain or their own agony or their own suffering or their desperate need to get their children and students under control have imposed on Judaism. And one can sometimes sit and cry when we observe the amount of trauma That innocent good souls, good souls experience for absolutely no reason, only because of our ignorance, our, you'll forgive me, stupidity, and our literally inability to communicate a Judaism that is far more sophisticated, nuanced, positive, healing, empowering, building up, the human being and the human potential. I'm sometimes deeply hurt. Constantly people, I was once talking at a sheer about, uh, about this. And I said that God wants people to be happy. So somebody said, this is Yiddishkeit? I said, yeah. He said, what's your source for this? I said, I'll tell you my source, but why are you asking? He says, I never heard this in my life. I always understood that God wants you to always be trembling in fear, feeling crushed, feeling, feeling very, very scared, not to be happy. Okay, I brought him the sources. It wasn't so complicated. You could just look at the Rambam, at the end of Hilches Lulav, what he feels about Simcha and Avodah Or a possek we say every morning after Baruch Sha'amar, Sashem Hashem Simcha, Or the end of the whole Shulchan Aruch in the words of the Ramot, Toiv Mishta Tamid. A good heart is always feasting, is always celebrating. That's a discussion about Simcha. But it's, uh, it's painful To live at such a time and see the desperation and the yearning of so many young and older men and women to a Yiddish guy that is empowering and loving and yet we often lack the tools to be able to communicate that way and we feel that if we don't do it this way maybe we're going to lose control when it's really the other way around. Because anything that remains in people's hearts, only as a result of fear, is not really inside of them. At the first given opportunity, they run as far as possible. Even when they have it, they don't have it. When you own something out of fear, you don't own it. You're just terrified. You're intimidated. You're overwhelmed. There's no relationship. And then the same people are expected to say three times a day or four times a day, "Va'hafta es Hashem You should love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. So basically, he scared his living daylights out, and now this God says, but you got to love me, (laughs) and love me with all your heart, and And if you don't, who are you going to get punished? So I ask you, how much love can such a person experience? Unless, of course, we go back to the question of how dishonest Judaism wants us to be with our emotions. So that's the question. If Judaism is based on fake emotions, dishonest emotions, then everything works. Love is not love. Love is just lip service. I love, I love, I love with all my heart. But such a Judaism is paganism. It's not worth to worship. If it's not true, what is it worth? If we're dealing with true emotions, what does it mean? Every day you should love God. So... Let's discuss now the positive. <laughs> Let's discuss a little bit what we're dealing with. It feels maybe a little primitive, or, 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 but we have to go up to pre-1A. We have to go back to first grade or daycare center. I know we're sitting with, with adults who are very mature and educated, but in this area, we sometimes mamas, have to go back to the beginning. And we have to remember... And I'm going to quote almost randomly. I chose a few because I could choose dozens or hundreds. But I chose a few that came to mind just to illustrate the idea as we develop it. The Pesach says in Parish, everybody knows, Bonim atem l'ashem You are children of your God. You are children. The first definition of a child is in terms of the parents' feelings to the child, as it says in svarim, the Sefer ikram says it clearly, but it says in svarim, and he says it's even by animals. A father and mother, if they're healthy if they're functional, there are people who are not healthy, but if somebody is healthy and functional, they love that child with all their heart and all their soul, and they love them unconditionally. The definition of a parental love is Nothing you do will obliterate that love. I may be disappointed, but that doesn't mean I become unloving. What does Moshe say in Parshish Ekev, in contrast to the Jews said, What does Moshe say? Because of his love to you, because of his love to you, all of the subsequent events happen. Now, when you look at the last prophet of the Jewish people, the last prophet was a man named Malachi. From the 24th Svarim of Tanakh, Malachi is the last safer. And when did Malachi live? He was from the group of prophets Chagai, Scharia, Malachi, who were with the group of Jews who survived the Babylonian exile and rebuilt the second Beisamikdash after the Purim events in Persia. And the final prophecy, the Gemara says Esther Soivzmana Nevua. Esther was the end of prophecy. The last prophet was Malachi, and Malachi records in Perik Aleph. Uh, what does Malachi say? And this is the message that Jews will go into exile with this message, because after this, there's no prophecy anymore. Masod Vara Yisrael Bayad Malachi. This is the message of God to the Jewish people through Malachi, and what's his message? A hafti eschem amar adinoy, v'amartem ba mea avtonu haloyach es of liyakov numa yakov. The message he gives Malachi is a hafti eschem amar Hashem. I love you, God says. I love you. You hear a hafti This is Rabbi Yai religion. I ask you, seventeen-year-old boy. I wrote Malachi. God says, uh, when? After Nebuah is over. This is already by Yisheni. Things are not as bright as in the beginning of Jewish history. And the Jews say, <laughs> Really? Tell me, what does it mean? <laughs> God says, Esav is a brother of Yaakov. I love Yaakov. Not because Esav is not a brother of Yaakov. They could be brothers. And sometimes that means they're equals. I will love you in redemption, I will love you in exile. You might think you look just like Esau, you're a twin brother. I will love you, I love you. If somebody touches anything in Judaism, any mitzvah, any law, any halacha, any story, any minig, any chumrah, any aspect, any phenomenon of Judaism, and I don't experience a hafti eschem, I'm missing something. I'm missing an aspect of Judaism. If I don't feel, if I don't understand, feel, okay, listen, we don't always feel things. Feelings shouldn't always be confused with values. But at least I have to understand. If I don't see with my mind and soul and heart, in every aspect of Yiddishkeit, infinite love, I'm not grasping Judaism. If I'm teaching to my children any aspect of Judaism, and they're not feeling a hafti eschem Hashem, I'm not teaching authentic Judaism. I may be teaching the outer shell Good. Now, this doesn't mean there's no questions. It doesn't mean there's no struggle. It doesn't mean I'm not having other feelings and emotions. We spoke last week, number 24, about emotional honesty with God and with yourself and with your spouse and the story of Eoiv. Of course, life could be complex and frustrating and painful. But I'm talking now from a Hashkafic point of view if one doesn't see in Pesach and Shavuos and Sukkot, in Shachris, Minchem, in Muktse, Boirer, schite and Erevin, in Lechi and Koirei, Rusin and Esuyan, if somebody doesn't see the Hafti Eschem Hashem in every Toysviz, in every Rashba, in every Rebaki in every Maram Shif, in every Mishnah, in every Gemara, in every Halach, in every Siman, in every Sif, in every Sam Soifer, or Shut Shik, or Arugas Haboysim, One is missing the core. One is off. We're not sensing the authentic essence of Yiddishkeit. Ahafti hafti eschem amar Hashem, aloi ochei es of Yaakov, vaoyev es Yaakov, vees of Sanesi. There's the famous word of the Vilna the Ve es of Sanesi. Even by es the sinner the haters to the s es of esom ve esa sof sodesi the gemara says s virachat s psoray bamayim s is hatofel lipsoray that which is subservient to the flesh that's how you learn that all the hair has to go into the mikveh s kolp soray even that which is subservient kabeit. savcha ve simcha baruchu baralakim, s hashamayim that which comes with the heaven with the earth ve esa all the things that added, that came added onto Asaph, the pseudos of Asaph, that's what's an Asaph. But that's a separate, that's a separate, uh, that's a separate parsha about the idea of Asaph. You read a safer, this is where the Tanakh comes in. <laughs> you read a safer like Shir Hashirim, the Song of Songs, especially when you read it with the Mefarshim, with the commentators, whether it's Rashi or the Medrash, whether it's the Radak or the Malbim, whether the explanation of the Gon or the Zoyar, whether Lekut the Torah, whatever it is, you learn hashirim, And you can't help yourself but melt away in the endless expressions and emotions of love to the point where the groom turns to the bride, God turns to the Jew and he says, Hareini es Hashmi'ini es remember from the song, arev. <speaking native language> Echnave, show me your face. Let me hear your voice. Because your voice is so sweet and your countenance is so beautiful. This is a language of love or a language of negativity. You remain crushed. My dove is hiding in the cleft of the step. Come out, show me your beautiful face. Let me hear your beautiful voice. That's what Judaism is. God says, I want to see you in your full glory, in your full splendor. I want to see your full potential. I want to see your life being realized in the most splendorous way. I want a powerful person walking around, changing the world. You're an ambassador of love, light, hope. I have to tell you, I was recently at a Shabbaton, and somebody shared with me such a good story, such a good Musa Haskell, such a good lesson for what it means to live as a real Jew. This person told me, I was in Detroit for a Shabbaton, and this person told me that he was once in Britain, visiting the former Prime Minister of of Britain, of England, Tony Blair. And they were schmoozing, they were pretty close friends, so he was schmoozing with Tony Blair, and he asked, not Tony Blair, I'm sorry, uh, Margaret Thatcher, Margaret Thatcher was known as the Iron Lady, who was the Prime Minister of England, I think the longest Prime Minister of England, she was a tough, tough lady, they called her I think the Iron Lady, Miss, Miss Margaret Thatcher, Lady Thatcher. So he told me that he he was also friends with Blair, but this was a conversation he had with Margaret Thatcher. And she was talking to him. He's a very big businessman and a philanthropist. And she said, Lady Thatcher, may I ask a question? All your years as Prime Minister of England, what was your most challenging and difficult moment? What was the most difficult moment? So she says, I'll share it with you. The protocol in England is that the Prime Minister meets the Queen once a week, Tuesday evening at 6 o'clock p.m. Okay, you just learned something new about England. I don't know how much it's going to help you, but fine. If one day you become the Prime Minister of England. So he says, every, she says, every Tuesday I would go meet the Queen in Buckingham Palace one tuesday evening and i know this is more a story for the women's section than for the men's section but it's fine you'll get the point i come into buckingham palace to meet the queen Un, as we would say in yiddish svetme finster in the eigen she didn't use that expression my eyes become dark it doesn't really work basically i am horrified what's the worst thing that can happen to the Prime Minister of England when she walks in for her weekly audience with the Queen. They're wearing the same outfit. You didn't even think that it could be so bad. The Queen of England, Her Majesty, is dressed in a certain outfit. And Margaret Thatcher, to her muzzle, got the same outfit. And they're wearing the same thing. Now you're looking at me, what's the big deal? We're all wearing the same outfit. Okay, good question. You'll ask your wife after the shear, or you could text her right now, and she'll explain it to you. And you'll also learn something new. And you'll understand why in the dresser, why in the closet you have four inches, and she gets the other half a mile. But you, were was teku, right? So now you'll understand. Anyway, she's horrified. But of course, it was so horrifying they couldn't even joke. And especially in Britain, where people are very proper, not like us bratty Americans. So you don't say anything. They had the meeting, they had the weekly discussion between the prime minister and the king. And life moved on. But the first thing Margaret Thatcher did when she came back to her residence was she wrote a note of apology. And the note of apology read, I'm so, so sorry. I wasn't aware of what Her Majesty is going to put on. And I really apologize. And henceforth from now on, I will make sure that my people every single week ensure that this doesn't happen again by reporting to me what the plans of uniform are and that way it will not happen again okay she sends the note into the Queen of England so this friend of mine who's telling me the story asks Margaret Thatcher this was the most challenging moment she says listen to her answer she writes back an answer And she says it was no problem at all because the queen never notices what commoners wear. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought you could call this real British, pompous, haughty, Arrogance, but the Baal said everything is a lesson in life. Everything is a lesson in life. People struggle with self esteem. You can only struggle with self esteem when you don't realize who you are. When you realize that the creator of the whole world turns to you and says, I'm in love with you. And the Jewish people can't believe it. They say, a Yid once came to our Rav and he said that he speaks to himself. He speaks to the Rav said, said, Nishkeferlech, a lot of people speak to themselves, no one else listens to them. So they give speeches to themselves. He says, Rebbe, you don't understand, I'm a nudnik. So you say, Me, you know who I am. <laughs> you know what they told me when I was six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. There's nothing to love. And God says it doesn't have to do. I know you call yourself a brother to Asa. The challenges of self-esteem is because the person doesn't realize who the self is. The person thinks that the self could be crushed and deadened. They say there was once a teacher who was talking to his class and he took out a hundred dollar bill and he asked the children who would like a one hundred dollar bill. So even in today's world, where kids are getting for the Afiqayim and a Lamborghini, or at least an iPad, even even they, $100 is not nothing. So all the kids say, we would like $100. So the teacher takes the $100 bill, and he folds it up, and he says, would you still like it? They say, yeah. He takes the $100 bill, and he, mummish folds it up into a tiny little piece of paper, you can't even notice it. Do you still want it? Yes, he takes the $100 bill, And he puts it on the ground and he steps on it. He says, does anybody still want it? All the hands go up, they still want it. Now he jumps on it. Jumps and jumps and jumps. It's now dirty and really messed up. Does anybody still want it? They all raise their hand. He says, why? Look at it. They say, because it hasn't lost its value. And he said, this is what I want you to remember in life. Not everybody will always caress you. Not everybody will always embrace you. Some of us sitting in this room have experienced tremendous acts of abuse. And they, as a result, lost their entire sense of self-value. I'm worthless. And now we always have to justify ourselves. Am I justified to have an opinion? Am I justified to have a good life? Who am I to be happy? Who am I to be successful? Who am I to be gorgeous? Who am I to be powerful? Who am I to be influential? Who am I to be happy? Who am I to be wholesome? What do you mean who you are? Hare ni You're a prince of God. You're a princess of God. Bon You're a chelik eleikam You're an essential part of of Hashem, you're an expression of infinity. You're the light of God in this world. You're His ambassador of this world. This is at the core of all of Judaism. God conceived you in love. The day that you were born is the day that the Reboi Neshaloilam said, you matter. And the day you were born, it's the day that God said, this world cannot function fully, without your contribution. My huge infinite world somehow needs you. I made this up. It's a Mishnah, it's a Zion, Chayev, Loimar, Bishvili, Nivra, For me, the world was created. What is this? Narcissistic Meshagoyim? The world was created for me. The world was created for him. The world was created for him. So we all walk around. Bishvili, Nivra, Olam. I'm a Chayev. What's the meaning of this? What's, what, are, what are the sages trying to teach? Not only that, they say that's why man was created alone. The first human being was created one person. Why one? To know there's no substitute. There's no two, there's one. Why? Because there's something that you give the world that nobody else can give the world. Not in the past and not in the future. The greatest tzaddik, the greatest righteous and holy person can't contribute to the universe, to history, to Hashem himself, to the Jewish people, and to all of existence, what you have to contribute. They tell a story that... Uh, it's, a very, uh, it's an interesting story also with a great lesson. There was the emperor of Austria, his name was Emperor Joseph II. And he came to listen to a symphony by Mozart. And uh, he was not very skilled in music. He was somewhat tone deaf. What do people who are tone deaf do at a concert? You know what they do? They do what Jews do during a sheer or in shul. It's called shluff. They sleep. Or what many Jews do during opera. Yeah, you ever went to opera because you thought you were cultured and you fell asleep, right? You fell asleep. So uh, he slept through the symphony. When Mozart finishes, he walks by uh, Emperor Joseph too. And uh, the emperor says, Thank you, Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. Job well done. But too many notes. Yeah, I hear it all the time. Rabbi Jacobson, good. But too long. Too many notes, he says to Mozart. Now, what do you tell the emperor of Austria who understands in music less than you understand in the climates of New Zealand? What do you tell him? Tell him the truth, you're an idiot. You know nothing about music. You can come out with a head shorter. So Mozart was wise. He says, that's so interesting, your majesty. Really, really. Tell me, which notes do you suppose I cut? <laughs> yeah. And it's if you could put your cell phones on vibrate. But thank you for the music, for the illustration. I think I shared with you perhaps once an amazing story. One of the great uh, conductors and directors and composers of the last generation was a man named Toscanini, Arturo Toscanini. He was an Italian composer, a conductor, eccentric. He had a photographic memory. He was a brilliant man. Toscanini should always be remembered by the Jewish people because he despised Mussolini and fascism. He hated Hitler's guts. And as a result of that, he is the one who arranged for many Jewish musicians in Germany and Vienna who were all fired when the Nazi party came to power and he arranged, he created the first philharmonic orchestra in Palestine and most of these Jews, he got them the assistance to be able to leave Germany and Vienna and make it to Eretz Yisrael and ultimately it saved their lives. This was Toscanini's credit. He had a biographer who was writing his biography and he phoned him one day and he said, can I come visit you tonight to to speak about your life? Toscanini said, tonight we can't, because I'm busy. He said, what are you busy with? So he says that he used to direct a symphony in Italy. He moved to New York. Toscanini moved, he died in New York, I think in 1959, in the 50s. And he said, somebody else took it over, and they arranged that I should be able to hear it through shortwave radio. Now the younger people sitting here in the audience don't know what shortwave is, Today you expect to be able to hear what's happening in Australia within seconds. But it wasn't so simple. To be able to hear a symphony from overseas, a whole symphony was unique. And Toscanini said, you can't talk to me tonight because I'm going to listen to the symphony the way he's directing it. So the biographer understood the opportunity. He seized the moment and he said, can I come watch you listen to the symphony? He said, yes, if you don't say a word. So the biographer writes this. He writes in the biography, I came and I watched Toscanini listen to the whole symphony that he directed, he created, he conducted for around two hours. He was deeply engrossed, as was I. When it finished, I turned to him and I said, that was marvelous. That was beautiful. Toscanini says, not really. He says, why do you say that? He says, there were supposed to be 15 violins, and there were only 14. He said, I thought the guy is absolutely insane. He heard a concert through shortwave radio, and he knows that a violin was missing, 14 instead of 15. The next day, he called up the director, and he asked him about the symphony the previous night, and the man said, a musician was missing. There were supposed to be 15 violinists, only 14 showed up. He comes back to Toscanini and he says, how in the world did you know from listening to the symphony that there was a violin missing? And he looked at him and he said, that's the difference between you and me. You see, you're a spectator. You sit in the hall and you watch the orchestra and you hear the music. I'm not a spectator. I created this music. I created the music, I wrote the notes, and I wrote the music for this symphony. And I knew that for each note to be able to be played, it needed 15 violins. And when I heard that some notes were not being met, I knew that a violin was missing. You would never know this because you're in the audience, but I'm the creator of the music. And essentially, now you can understand the Chayav of Adam Loimar mar nivra From the spectator's perspective, one person's contribution may not seem so dramatic, but from the perspective of the Creator, there is a note that only you could play. And the whole world waits for you to resonate your music. So the Rebbeinu Shaloylam begs, don't allow your voice to be stifled don't allow your voice to be dulled. Don't allow your soul to be eclipsed. Don't allow your light to be covered over. The Zohar says, in Daf Hey, Rabbi Yehuda said, if people would know how much God loves them, they would run after him faster with more strength than a lioness running after her prey. I don't know how many ever of you saw a lioness running after her prey. You ever saw it in Kruger National Park or a jungle? Maybe National Geographic? But you don't want to get in between. Trust me. It's An expression in Zoya, Vai to the one who goes in between, Araya of arayasa, the lion and the lion. You don't want to get in between. There is a single-minded ferociousness of that mighty beast, the king of the animals, the king of the beast, Melech Shebuchayes, that is extraordinarily powerful. You know, when you see it, when you watch it, it's it's actually, it's a terrifying, it's a very intense scene, it's a terrifying scene. Says the Zoya, if you would know how much God loves you, you would run after him much faster, and with more alacrity, with more strength than a lion. This the Zoya says. What does this mean? This means that one of the greatest failures in life was when a person doesn't realize when you wake up in the morning the very fact that God gave you back your soul. You say, What's Rabe Munasecha? Rabe Munasecha means great is your trust. Great is your faith. He gave me back my soul. There's another interpretation. Rabe Munasecha. I'll tell you a Reb Chatzkol Abramsky, Reb Chatzkol Abramsky, one, one of the great Litzver of the last generation. He was the chief rabbi of London, and then he moved to Israel. He passed away, I think, in 1976. He authored Chazoin Yecheskel, an extraordinary commentary on Sefta, on the Brysis. Very un- people, very few people know Sefta the back of the Gemara, and he wrote a commentary on Tosefta, a brilliant commentary. Somebody once told him, um, Sa'a farvorfineh teisefta. How do you say "Farvorfen, Huh? Not thrown out. Obscure. It's an obscure Tosefta." So he said, in, in, in Yiddish it works, he says, Nei, nay 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 du bist The Tosefta is nish farvorfen." You're obscure. You're, you're somewhere dejected. It is not. He was a rabbi in, uh, in Slutsk, right? In, in Slutsk. Slutsk. Huh? Slutsk, under Soviet communism. As a result, he was exiled to Siberia for years. Now, the man who was in those years the leader of Russian Jewry, because most of the Rosh Hashivas, Rabbanim, and Rebbe's felt the need to escape was the man who stayed there until he was sentenced almost to death and then to exile. The previous Lubavitcher Rebbe, the Rebbe Rayat Rabbi Yosef, Yosef And he had the correspondence with all the Rabbanim, secret, including with Reb and he had for every Rav a code word. Reb Shlomo was Rashi. Reb Chatzka Labramski was Tosevta. Because he was into the Toseftas, the Bryces. Epchatzko Abramsky was in Siberia for years. And once, it's in his biography, that his family put together, one of his students. That's where I saw it in his biography. When he was out of, 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 of Soviet prisons, Stalin's Gulag, he came to visit the Lubavitcher Rebbe, the Rebbe Hayat, the previous, the sixth Lubavitcher Rebbe. And he was by him, and he shared with him an experience. He said, one night... It was the middle of the night, and he couldn't sleep. And near him was another accomplished man who also couldn't sleep. And the man started to share with Rebchatzko Labramsky how difficult life is and how miserable he is. He used to have covered malachim, he was on top of the world, and now he has nothing. No family, no money, no health... In the gulag, millions, people don't know, millions and millions of people died in Stalin's gulags from cold, from diseases, from typhus, from hard labor. It was very, very hard to survive the conditions over there. If you've ever to Siberia, you're dealing with places that are 40, 50, 60, 70 below zero. And, and, and with unbearable conditions, no food, <coughs> no, no heat. It was unbelievable what they did there, what Stalin did. And this man was, was lamenting to the Phatskal Abramsky. And then he asked the Pchatskal, What are you thinking about? So he said he's also thinking about why you should wake up tomorrow in the morning. And he told him, Moidaani, when you wake up, you thank God for giving me back your song. You say, Rabba Munasacha, great is your faith. Why are you saying it here? So the Bhatskal told him, Rabba Munasaki, you're telling God, I know how much your faith is in me, how much you believe in me. I woke up another day, you gave me back my soul for another day, you entrusted the world with me for another day, because your faith in me is infinite. So he said, somehow God sees in my life something infinitely valuable that he cherishes. And that's why he gave me another day, and that's what I'm going to wake up with. And the Lubavitcher Rebbe told him, that's a, a pretty sharp vart, and the Pchatzkel was very moved by it, he said it over, the Lubavitcher Rebbe told him, and to say, this is a person who suffered himself terribly under Stalin, not only himself, but hundreds and thousands of his disciples, he said to him, "Amolus kidai, Sibir, Sometimes it's worth it to be able to be in Siberia, to be able to hear such an insight. To be able, not to hear, to be able to and to be able to uh, experience such an insight. So what is Rabbi Munosecha? Great is your faith in me. Great is your faith in me. A young man once came to me, a teenager, and he said, I think I lost my faith in God. I said, okay, we have to deal with it. Don't worry about it. But one thing I want you to know, God did not lose His faith in you. Your belief in God, it's fine. We'll have to deal with it. We'll work on it. I'm not sure you lost it, but fine. We'll talk about it. But remember, God didn't stop believing in you. That's that's very, very important. The moment a person loses that touch, they lost essentially what a moon is. Or as the Reptzadik quotes, Sidka satzadik ois kuf nun dalad, or kuf nun Vav, one of those two. I quote from memory, sha adam tzorich lahamin ba'ashemizbarich, kach tzorich gamkein acher kach lahamin ba'atsmai. Just as a person is obligated to believe in God, he or she is obligated also to believe in themselves, that God believes in them. This is a quote from Reb Kakayan who passed away in 1900. This is not some pop uh, psychology uh, teacher who's trying to make people feel good about themselves. And he brings a whole, a whole, a whole roster, a whole slew of sources and explanations to be able to uh, authenticate authenticate this idea. The Balshemtiv once said. The Balshemtiv said. The Lib Mer Lib Aben Yachid, Shenoiladla ziknusam. The love of parents to children is infinite, but the love of parents to our children, the love of parents to a child when they only have one child and the child was born in old age, they didn't expect a child is a love that's even more powerful than the ordinary love, even though that love is infinite. Came to Baal Shem and said, and the love of Hashem to every Jew is more powerful than that. So throughout all of a person's experiences in life, one ought to never ever doubt that infinite love that accompanies the human being 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And the truth is, you don't have to look far. If you go through davening, this is a theme that doesn't stop throughout the prayers. From the opening words, Asata The soul that you've imbued in me is full of light, is full of purity. And then in Birchas HaShachar Karbonis, we speak about what do you say? Because of your love to him and the joy that you celebrate... You called his name and you identified him as Israel as you should in the fiqa khana khayyam wa haydhis la shabaiq la fa'il la ra'amum ashrainu ma toyf khalkaynum i ask all the people i made up these texts how fortunate how sweet how beautiful how pleasant why are you celebrating? Why are you thanking for this dread and misery and endless amount of burdens and agony that were imposed upon you and it's all about fear of the purgatory that awaits you. He should have said, and from the dread that you wanted to terrorize him, you called his name Yisrael, to be frightened in our pants to be miserable, to feel guilty, to feel crushed, to feel that at everything you're going to punish us, to feel that we're the worst of the worst and any tiny little thing you touched an eraser on Shabbos, who is the barbecue going to be hot for you. You didn't wait six hours between the Cholent and the ice cream at Shabbos, I can't even imagine what you are going to be experiencing. This is what Yiddishkeit amounts to. And then you go through Toivla Shemla koyil Virachamav al Kolmasov, he's good. And then you start talking about the love. Before you say Krishna, what do you have to say? The Chazal instituted, Ahavas God loved us with an eternal love. And if you're a good Ashkenazi, you say, avarabba even more, with an awesome, abundant love in the Nusach Ashkenaz. Chem l'g'doy l'viseira says the kdusha Slevi, even in a way you think, I am not deserving of any compassion, it's irrelevant, it's unconditional. It's not enough. You finish the blessing, you're about to say God is one. Chazal said, don't say it yet. ato Hashem, ba'am yisrael, When was the last time by davening? When you said the words, avas o'lam Aftonu you stopped, you took a breath, you closed your eyes, and you actually breathed in the experience that God loves you eternally, infinitely and unconditionally. Anybody? This morning, tomorrow morning, when you say Avas Oilam to stop and say, Do you we even know what it feels like to be loved unconditionally? Is there anybody here who knows? You don't know. What does it feel like to be loved unconditionally? You know, it's not such, if you didn't have this love, you don't know what it feels like. What does it feel like to be loved unconditionally? What does it feel like that somebody loves you without any strings attached? You don't have to make a performance. You don't have to be in a circus. You don't have to do acrobats. You don't have to get a hundred. You don't have to be Ametziyan. You don't have to be Habakr, Habdolug, Habmuflig, Betayrabir, Shamayim, Tzadiki Soydolim, Rabbi Shalkolbne HaGoyla. I love you. I love you unconditionally without limitations. Do you know what that feeling feels like? Nobody knows what it feels like. talking the children to the parents. David HaMelech said, Ki avi azavuni v'ashem yasveni. My parents abandoned me and God took me in. When a person says, "Avas meditate, internalize, stop for 30 seconds, take it in. But it's not enough. He chooses the nation's nation with love, and now you could say, If you're not experiencing the infinite love, the Shema Yisrael is lacking. The person can't recognize the true oneness of God because that oneness is all about love. It's a oneness that encompasses the world in love. And then you could say, If somebody loves you unconditionally, you could reciprocate. You have that confidence to really, really be able to love. And if it's not enough in the morning, you come tonight, night, you may forget. You may forget. We know in marriages, if you have a husband or a wife who once a day share with each other their affection, it's a pretty good thing. Varaya. Many marriages don't have that. They may be nice. They may not be obnoxious. But every single day to share affection once, pretty good. But in Judaism, it's not once. It's only around 50, 60 times a day. So I ask you, who invented this type of romance in Judaism? You come to Meiriv, a whole bracha of the Chazal Institute, we have to know this you loved your people with eternal love. Next you remember you just said it tonight? you forgot already. I don't mean to bring up nightmares of might have they thought they're over with it. but it's good sometimes to think about a few words. the you taught us Tairo Mitzvah the whole people. <speaking in the Bible> you see, I remember myrav. What's pshat in this bracha? I mean, I don't want to. What's I don't want to get very technical, but what's pshat in this bracha? People often think that if you if 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 you do if you learn Torah and you observe mitzvahs, then God will love you. We have a conception by many of us guilty. Till you're proven innocent. The problem is this comes from another religion that believes in original sin. And original sin happened because they felt that God hated them and they need salvation. They need to justify themselves. That's not what Judaism believes. Ava Basis Khafta. is second. Why is it second? It should say, you gave us Torah and then you love us. No, because you love us, you gave us Torah and mitzvahs. Torah and mitzvahs is a result of the love, not a cause of the love. Because you love us, you gave us the opportunity of Torah and mitzvahs. So we should be able to live and experience this love in our lives through Torah and through mitzvahs. That's what we're saying in the blessing every night. And that's why you say, Al-Kain, B'shachveinu, V'kumenu, when we lie down, when we get up. Nasiyach B'chakachu, V'divirshir Aschum, Mitzvashalaylam, what? Kihem Chayenu, V'hem Negayem, Amalayla. This is our life. Now it's not enough. Vavoscha, Al-Toser, Mehmanu, al What happened suddenly? We're, we're already scared? You go out with your spouse for anniversary, and you say, I love you, and I care for you. And by the way, I'm not getting divorced tomorrow. We're having a good conversation. Pashit, you're sitting by Maidiv and you're saying, "Me, what did I learn today?" I'll tell you what I did. I I didn't do mitzvahs today. On the contrary, the love will never ever go away. So I ask you a question. If you don't believe that God loves you, it's a bracha sheen You're saying God's name in vain. Why did you ask him first if he loves you before you mention his name? You don't say baruch atashem, baruch if there's no apple. Wait, 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 wait. God, God, wait, wait. let's, let's make this clear. You like me? Not really, right? I don't like myself. How could you like me? I don't like me. My mother-in-law doesn't like me. The therapist doesn't like me. The rabbi doesn't like me. You don't like me. What's this? How do you, maybe, doesn't, maybe you're not. We say it, but then we could say God's name. Because it's not a question. It's like asking a mother, did you start hating your child? She may have pain. There may be difficulty. There may be challenge. Unconditional love doesn't mean you're uncritical. Unconditional love doesn't mean you're not hurt. Unconditional love doesn't mean there's no expectation. Unconditional love doesn't mean people don't make mistakes but unconditional love means my love to you will never ever ever change yirmi <inaudible> anovi the one who prophesizes about destruction in very very bitter terms In paydaklamat alof of the Hashanah, what does he tell us may va avas god shows up from a distance as the commentators say, we're not talking about a time of a close relationship. It's distant. I can only see him from the far distance. But nonetheless, God's message from a distance was, I love you forever. Avas, o'yla avas Which is where the Chazal got the Nusach. They didn't make it up. They got it from Yirmiya Navi. Avas, o'yla ma'avtach. It could be me'rachach. Or what do we say in Rosh Hashanah? Habein Yaker You know when you think about your little little innocent child and your intestines start stirring. Hamu you, Mei Your kishka starts stirring. God says, "Al kirenu." When I think about a yid, when I think about a Jew, my intestines, everything starts stirring from from the from the intense love. Or Yirmi as a I want to read to you. It's in the Haggadah, but it's a part of the Hagada, and you know, everything needs mazel. It's part of the Haggadah where everybody is waiting for Shulchan Aruch. <laughs> I just want to read to you just to see how the Navi speaks. The Navi Yecheskel speaks. I'm going to read to you a few psukim from Yecheskel, Perik Tezayin. Chapter 16 in Yecheskel. I did not write these words. I quote the Navi Yecheskel. You can look it up. Te Tezayin. Part of it is said in the Haggadah. It's a, it's, it's a very, very powerful chapter both in the glory and in the downfall. But I want to read a few, a few psukim to hear how he speaks. He says Azai. Vo Marta. Ko ya ma'rad inay li him li ushalayim. Mi khayru saye kham aldu saye kh ma'rat zaknani. O vi khe murevi imeg gitis. loy khare sharikh. Uva mayam la ru loy says to the Jewish people Your dwelling place, your birth comes from the Canaanites. As for your birth, on the day you were born, meaning in Egypt, your navel was not cut, like when a baby is just born. Neither were you washed with water for cleansing. You weren't salted, you weren't swaddled. No, I pitied you to do any of this. You know when a baby comes out of the womb and everybody ignores the fetus. No one cared for you. You were cast on the open field in the in an ugly, grotesque pile of blood on the day you were born. I pass by and I see a new baby come out of the womb. He's talking about the Jewish people. Full of blood. The baby is engulfed in blood. And I said, with your blood you will live, with your blood you will live. I made you like plants of the field in the myriads. I increased you. I made you grow. I Brought, gave you p- perfect beauty, breasts, fashion, you hair growing, but you were completely naked and bare. V'ever the here words. I passed by you and I saw you. eis <speaking> doidim. <in Hebrew> I see that you were mature enough to be able to experience love. I walked by and I saw your eis <speaking> doidim, <in Hebrew> you're capable of doidim, <speaking in Hebrew> of love. What did I do the Ephrais I spread my cloak over you i covered your nakedness and I swore to you bibris and I came into a covenant with you vati and from then you became mine what is this an expression of what 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 type of emotions do you feel What is this experience that the Navi is talking about? And then he goes on to lament how such a relationship was so betrayed. How sad that such a relationship was so betrayed. Maybe the most dramatic example, and here again, you'll forgive me, I go back to the Tanakh, which people don't know is a Jewish book. One of the prophets is called Hosea, And Hosea is a story and it's fascinating, you have people who learn Mishnayis, and Gemara, and Brura, and Shachanach, their whole life, and they don't know the story of Aisha. Heisheah is considered the greatest prophet of the Jewish people, our sages say. And one day God appears to Aisha and he tells him what? Kach Ashes <laughs> znunim. I want you to marry a Zoina. I want you to marry a harlot. I want you to marry a promiscuous woman who has been unfaithful, not a person who lives according to the standards of morality and, and modesty. Her name, we know her name. Her name is Goimer. Bastev Simon and the Gemara explains exactly why that's her name. You could look it up. Pretty, pretty intense why that was her name. She wasn't just a Zoyna, she was the quintessential Zoyna of the millennium. And they have three children. They have together three children. And he's a great husband. A Beziken Zachnicht She doesn't know how to help herself. And she once again falls into the abyss of what we would call today addiction and unfaithfulness and promiscuity and immorality. To the point that she has to sell herself as a slave in order to satisfy her desires, understand the tragedy. And God comes to hosea and he tells hosea I think it's time to divorce her. And hosea looks at God and says, Divorce her? She's my wife. We belong to each other. We had three children from each other. Divorce my wife? No way. That's the story in hosea Ask the Gemara and Psachim, what, what's going on here? God has nothing better what to do than send Heishe'ah into such marriages? What's going on? So the Gemara gives, of course, the background to the story. Psachim 87, Psachim Daf Pei Zayin. The Rebbeinu Shalolem came to Heishe'ah and he said, Banecha chatu. Your children sinned. So Yeshayah said, what's the problem? Choose another nation. You don't like the Jews, take somebody else. What's the big deal? What's the big deal? Take somebody else. So God says, what am I going to say? How am I supposed to explain myself to this old sage, to this great man? What am I supposed to tell him? So he said, we'll do the same thing with you. He married him off to a woman who was unfaithful. They had three children. And then he said, get divorced! Heshea said, no way. She's mine. These are my kids. So God says, ah! You took on Isha Zaina and you're not ready to let go because you have three children and you want me to let go of Bonai, my children, Bnei Bichunai, Bnei Avram, this is how he conveyed the message to Hosea. And this becomes a source of another extraordinary teaching that I think it's incumbent on every person to know, not only in our mind, but in our heart and our soul. The Gemara Mesechta Kedushan, Dafla Medvav quotes an argument between two sages, Rab Yehuda and Rab Meir. The Possek says, alekeichem, Your children, for God, so Rebbe Yehuda says what? If you behave like children, you're children. If not, you're not children. What does Rebbe Meir say? You know it from the song at least, no? Beinkach. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody knows. Bainkach or Bainkach Atem kruyim bonim. Whether you behave like children or you don't behave like children, you're called children. You're always children. And the Gemara brings four proofs. Four proofs for this. One is the Navi says, "Bonim they're foolish children. You see they're foolish, but they're still children. Then the Gemara brings a brings a second pasuk. What does Moshe say in the Taanazim, "Bonim loy Children that I don't trust. I don't have a but they're children. Then the Navi says, "Zera bonim mashchisim, corrupt children. A third proof and then the last pasuk from Heishe'ah. What does the Reboi say by Heishe'ah? Instead of saying, you're not my people, we're going to say, you are the children of the living God. Ask the Gemara, why do you need four psukim? Why four verses? And the Gemara answers, and I'm going to explain the answer the way the Maharal of Prague explains the answer in a Sefer, Netzach Hisral, chapter 11. Netzach Hisral, Pedicut, the Maharal of Prague, who lived in the 1500s, passed away 1609. The Rav of Prague and his many works, Netzach Yisrael, he explains it. The Gemara is trying to talk about four types of Jews. Reb Meir says, you're always a child. Ah, you're not behaving as a child. Of course, banim sikhlim. Sometimes kids do stupid things. Your kids don't do stupid things. Teenagers, you do stupid things sometimes. Ask your mother. You do stupid things. Adults, we all do... Banim sikhlim, you're a fool. People make mistakes. Says the Gemara, that only explains that Jews who make mistakes... God says, you're still my children. But what about if it's not a mistake? It's intentional. It's premeditated. Ah, I wouldn't know you're still my child. Maybe now I disown you. So the Gemara brings lay bum, children that I can't trust. They're not making mistakes. They're rebellious. So, okay, it's children who are rebellious, but at least they call themselves children. What about if a child tells you you're not my mother? You're not my father. I'm going to another house. Or in Judaism, it means I'm going to idolatry. You can't be my child anymore. I disown you. You're not just making mistakes willingly. You're disowning me. Even if they're corrupt, they go to idolatry. I call you children, but still not enough. And hereafter, quote the Maral, the last piece of the Gemara, was, says, why do you need the fourth one? you would say, okay, okay, they're children. They're children. No problem. I understand that they're children. But they're lousy children. They're bad kids. They're children. Nebach. Says God, no nebach. loyami b'nei I call them children of a living God. They are children without flaws. What do you mean they're children without flaws? They're not. They ran from me. They disowned me. They're in idols. the Gemara is saying, In their essence, they remain pure, wholesome, sacred, loving connected powerful infinite there is taxicity that attached itself to them but it doesn't constitute their core this is who they are they are essentially holy so when god looks at them he sees beautiful beautiful children children that he's proud of i he's not proud of them there's so much not to be proud of but he knows that's additional that's circumstantial it's things that attach themselves to the core of the person, and he or she can't identify who they really are. They start living with their shadows instead of with their light. They don't understand their true power, their true essence, their true potential. That's the fourth, the fourth possek And here's an interesting thing in Halacha. The Rajbah, Rabbeinu Shloime ben Aderes, 14th, 13th and 14th century in Spain, one of the greatest Rishonim and Halachic authorities of history. Has Shal Sachuvus HaRajba. And in Simon Kuf Tzadig Dalit, section 194, I believe, the Rajba says, Halacha Kereb Meir. The verdict is like Reb Meir. Even though usually we have a principle, Rebbe Huda and Rebbe Meir, Halacha Reb here is Halacha Kerebbe Meir. Why? Rebbe says, look in Jewish history. A Jew who's a Moomer, a Yisrael Moomer, a Jew disowns Judaism. And then he, betroth- he even Avodah Zari he goes to idolatry. And he betrothes a Jewish woman. He's Mekadosh. Does she need a get or not? What's the halacha? They say, a agoi. Does she need a get? If he was a goy, she wouldn't need a get. He's the hamum, he's a mishumad. What's the halacha? He needs to give her a get. Why? This is a Jewish marriage. So even though he's behaving like a non-Jew, And in some cultures, if you do something a little different, they already call you a goy. Reb Meir says, even a Mishumud, it's not so simple. Not only it says, God calls him my child. He cries for the child, but he's my child. So the Rajba says, you see Allah, he says, why? And he says, because Reb Meir has four Pesukim of Tanakh to support him. And that's why in this case, the law is like Reb Meir. The Rajba wrote this in the early 1300s. I would just add Sometimes history authenticates a particular view. And if I ask you a question, if you look at Jewish history, whose view was authenticated by Jewish history? They were showing a story went around the other day. You saw an elderly man was standing at a bus station. A religious Jew and near him was standing a very secular Israeli listening to, uh, he wasn't listening to Maish shiurim. he was listening to uh, rap music, but really, you know, interesting type of rap music. I'm not going to copy him because I'm not a, such a connoisseur, such an expert. And uh, the elderly man looks at him and he says, Achi, my brother, And he, lo achim, we're not brothers. We're not brothers. He says, we're brothers. He says, we're not brothers. He, you don't believe what I believe. I don't believe what you believe. You're religious. I'm not religious. You don't recognize me. We're not brothers. He says, we could still be brothers even if we dress differently and we disagree. He says, if we're brothers, come eat with me a cheeseburger. Will you come eat? He says, no, I don't eat cheeseburgers. I, said, I told you we're not brothers. They get into a whole argument of their brothers and this young Israeli, you could see, is very antagonistic, probably because of some interesting experiences he had, which we won't elaborate upon. And he's extremely antagonistic and he's really getting under the skin of this man. But you could see this man has age and experience and wisdom. And at some point he turns to him and he said, Hayali Mareh, I had a teacher, a very, very skilled teacher. And he taught me that you and I are brothers even if we look so different and our belief system is so different. And this young man is intrigued and he says... Mihaya who was this teacher? And he says Adolf Hitler. He taught me that you and I are brothers. He didn't distinguish between the Jew who was a kaddisha a holy of holies, to a Jew who considered himself an atheist a communist, a left-winger in the extreme who couldn't care less about Judaism. But if he had Jewish blood flowing in his veins, Hitler and the Nazis felt that he represented the vermin of the earth and had to be sent to the crematoriums. Why? Sometimes we gain wisdom from our enemies. That he understood that the Kedusha of yid, that the essential holiness of a Jew has nothing to do with the Jew's actions or lack of actions and even with what he or she says he believes. is a If he's a Jew, he's a piece of God and evil hates him. A person like Hitler, Yamak despises him because this little child who doesn't even have faith represents the living God as much as the greatest and holiest Torah scholar and a person full of Torah Mitzvah, maisim the Rashba says, Meir, Jewish history authenticated Rib Meir." Ben kach o ben kach, atem bonim. However, you want to define yourself, you're still a child. And when a person knows this, that the relationship is always there, that means you don't have to ever recreate your relationship. If you ever go to bed or you wake up in the morning and you feel the relationship is not there because I did X, Y, and Z, because I made so many mistakes, because I'm such a disappointment. On the contrary, you made so many mistakes, because you didn't realize how powerful you were. You didn't realize how powerful the relationship was. You didn't realize how holy you are. You didn't realize how God loves you this moment, and how much He invests in you, and how much He cares for you. And the Maharal even goes ahead, and he continues, and he says that this is the answer to the Ramban's big question. The Ramban asks uh, a major question. Watch this question. You remember the question at the beginning of Lech Lecha? Why did God choose Avram Avinu? Vayoy mir Hashem al Avram. Lech Lecha God speaks to Avram and says, leave, leave your land, go to the land I'm going to show you, I'm going to turn you into a great nation, I'm going to bless those who bless you, the whole world will be blessed from you, I'm going to give you this land. Why Avram? Could you give me a, a little background? You told me there was a man named uh, Terach. He had three sons: Nocher, Avram, and Haran. Okay. Terach died in Haran. Haran died during the lifetime of his father. Suddenly, out of the blue. Where? What? When? Why? How do you know Avram? What did Avram do? So you gonna tell me, what do you mean? We learned in school that he was thrown into the fire. That's the point. You learned it in school, but it doesn't say in the text. Ramban's question. Nobody is introduced without background. It doesn't make sense. Noyach. does not say God told Noyach, make an ark. What does it say? He liked him. He was a good guy. Eilat told us Noyach, Noyach ish tzaddik, is It's a few words. He was a good guy. He woke up in the morning, he was at Gedavan Viaid, Nishviyid, Via Gutagoya, Salakimi, Salak Nayak. He was a good man. So God said, listen, Kates Kalbossa Balafani, Malah Oratz Chamas. I mean malahz chamas. The world is filled with with chamas, with robbery, with theft. And I like you, I'm taking you. This is just Noyak. Avramavinu is the father. Of God's people. It's the genesis of the whole continuation of Beresh Shmoy's, the whole Tanakh, the whole Torah of Something about Avraham Avinu. Could you tell me at least he was a good guy? <laughs> Just say he was a nice man. He was a Balchesed. He was a Tzaddik. He believed in monotheism. He didn't worship idols. Epis! Nothing. Ramban's question. You never thought of it, Right? If you learn Chumash normally, you think of these questions. Here the Ramban's answer. I mean the Maral's answer. That's It's a long answer. I'm going to quote a few lines and explain. He says, yutur shelo of Avram. The Torah doesn't mention Avram was a tzaddik, Not because he wasn't. He was. She'imkach hoya mashmah. If it would have mentioned Avram's beautiful, glorious, noble, idealistic actions, you would think that's why God chose him. And that means the love ultimately is dependent on his righteousness. And that means that it could come another generation. God says, listen, you know, your father was a good guy, but you're a rotten apple. That's how it is. The Zayd Avram was Givaldic, but you guys, there's nothing left to you. You don't have anything of his wisdom, nothing of his sacrifice. Lo'y <laughs> Avram. It wasn't because of the tzitkas of Avram, but le'kach lo'y the Hest? It's something that can't be obliterated. It doesn't say, Avram was this and this and this and this, and therefore God said it. Then you would look, okay, you would make a checklist, like with a resume. You don't have this, you don't have this, you don't have this, you don't have this, you don't have this. this, this. Bye bye, goodbye, Charlie. So he says, no. The relationship is an essential one. The relationship is an intrinsic one. There's nothing I can do to say my mother is not my mother, my father is not my father. I can make believe, I can act that way, I can disown myself, but it's like deciding one morning that I'm not a human being, I'm a horse. You ever did that? Huh? I told you the Meister with Repshalom the Shvadron. It's a good amaisa. Shvadron was the Magad of Jerusalem, and he would tell good geshmaka stories. And he once said he would speak with a Yerushalayim, a Jerusalem melody. He said, A Yeshiva boy once came to me, and he says to him, "Shalomardechai." He says, "Ich tsar von dem was I'm so in pain from the fact that I have to be a human being. Why? He says, I have to get dressed in the morning. I have to eat with a fork and a knife and a spoon. I have to put on tefillin. I have to bathe. After Davin Shachus, Mincha Maidath. He says, I look at the behema in the yard, in the farm near my house. There's a cow there. I'm a chaya. They need to go to the bathroom. Boy, They don't have to start searching. Searching, you try to search for a bathroom here. It's impossible. She wants to eat. She eats. She eats. There's no manners, plates and forks and washing. Doesn't have to go to shul. Doesn't have to learn. Doesn't have to daven. And the boy says, he starts crying. Says, why did God punish me? And he starts crying and he says, I'll say it in Yiddish. He says, He starts sobbing on Master of the universe, why didn't you create me like a behemoth? Why didn't you make me a cow? So he said, I looked at the bacher and I told him, bacher, bacher, My dear boy. You have no reason to cry. You are a behemoth. It's fine. You are that animal you want. And yet, <laughs> the mice are good to mice. But we can't forget the truth of the mice. You can't become a behemoth. I could decide today till tomorrow that I'm a chimpanzee. And they love telling us that chimps and humans are very similar. And it's true, they're similar in many ways. Sometimes you look at a chimp and you want to start having a conversation. They start putting you Ever see, they put their finger on their chin, they look at you azoy, azoy, azoy. But there's a certain point where you realize, at kan Behema. Or maybe you don't realize. <laughs> Depends on the situation. <laughs> I should stand corrected. <laughs> huh? Yeah. Sometimes maybe there's talking no distinction. He gets excited when he sees an apple. And I get excited when I see cheesecake. Okay, for Kate, he likes healthy food. <laughs> I once met a Jew; he was very, very into evolution. He really believed that we come from apes and monkeys and this. And he was going; he didn't believe in Yiddishkeit, so he was going to Shul to him. Kippur. He was going to Yisker. I said, "Where are you going?" So I'm going to Yisker. Going to Shul for Yisker, he goes. His father, his grandfather, his mother. I say, why the shul? He says, what do you mean? Well, I want to remember my parents. I said, you go to Brangzu for Yiske. <laughs> Don't go to Brangzu. Stand in front of the apes. Yiske, Lekim, the Nishmas, <laughs> Sabah, Sabu, Sabu, Skeni, Moiri, Verabi, Rabban, Shokop, and Agur, or whatever. She started to laugh. I said, deep down, deep down I think you know that the apes are not your mothers and fathers. Deep down, you probably know. They say there was a Bar Mitzvah boy who wanted to give a speech at the Bar Mitzvah. So you, what do you speak at Bar Mitzvahs? Like they speak at Sheva Brachas, Mekem Machim sugar with Yichas. You know, when they start with Yichas, every family has to be the most Meyuchasdik family in the history of the Jewish people. Because if not, the chassan and Kala are going to think it's a horrible Mechach To think that the chassan and Kala match, nah, that you don't need. The main thing is that the Meshpachas should be Meyuchas. It's called when people lose priorities. They don't understand. Yichus is a beautiful thing, but the husband and the wife also have to talk to each other. You're not just getting married to your wife's great-great-great-great-great-grandfather who in Hungary was considered the biggest Talmud Chacham in the whole region. It's a nice thing. It's a beautiful thing. But you're actually not going to be able to talk to him every single night for the next 90 years unless maybe after taking Chatzos or you're, once you start taking things, you'll be able to start talking to him because you'll have a miserable marriage. But as long as you're married, the husband and wife have to get along with each other. But people don't realize they sometimes become infatuated with where the family comes from. It's a good thing. So nishtapashtozach, etc. But you have to know the main thing is the the Nishna the dehefza vahamei Yavin so uh, some of the men are laughing and some are crying <laughs> anyway so uh, so you have to talk about yiches. so the boy comes to his father to his mother and says tell me where we come from so she says he says no the beginning he says the beginning Bereish born. In the beginning, God created heaven and earth. He created on the sixth day Adam and Chava. For some reason, they decided to have children. I'm not sure why. And the rest is history, or actually her story. And Avraham, Yitzhak, Yaakov, Sarah, Rivka, and we are here today. Okay, he goes to his father. His father was an enlightened graduate of Columbia University. So he tells his father, where do we come from all the way in the beginning? Father says, ah, over hundreds of millions of years, we have evolved. We have evolved from apes, and they have evolved from monkeys, and they have evolved from other primates. And it all began with some uh, prebiotic gases, uh, prebiotic cholins and soups, uh, gases and bacterias, etc., and ultimately developed into a cell, and it took hundreds of millions of years until we're here today. Okay? So he writes all this down in his little notebook or on his little computer, and he comes back to his mother and he says, Mommy, I'm very confused about the Bar Mitzvah speech. She says, Why are you confused? He says, I want to talk about Yiches, where we come from. But I have two opposite conflicting versions. You tell me that we come from God, Adam, Eve, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, and Leah. Daddy tells me we come from chimpanzees, from apes, from monkeys, from bacteria, and from gas." What do I say? Where do we come from? She looks at him and he says, my son, it's not a contradiction. Your father was talking about his side of the family. <laughs> I'm talking about my side of the family. It's fine. It works. Yeah. So, <laughs> every person has two sides of the family. But one could never confuse the external cosmetics with the essential core. And therefore, the Maral of Prague says there's no biography for the first Jew. You know why? A Jew doesn't need a bio. There's no biography. You don't need a bio. If you would need a bio, you would wake up in the morning like many of us. And there's a guy I know, he tells me every day he Googles his name to see how many times he's mentioned on Google. You understand the choilas of a person? He Googles his name and he's looking for his bio. Imagine before you wake up, you first read your bio to decide if you're going to get out of bed. I know people who do that, but they don't have a bio to read. They wait for people to write a bio for them. If Pliny al says something nice to me, I deserve to live today. If not, I deserve to be in a depression today. And their whole life, they sometimes live that way. The first Jew had no bio. Not because he didn't have a bio. He had a big bio of Ramavinu's resume. His curriculum vitae, his CV was very, very impressive. Trust me. 75 years of extraordinary dedication, productivity, and enlightenment. But none of it is mentioned in God's blueprint for humanity. Because the definition of a Jew has nothing to do with your bio. It has to do with who you are, essentially. Ahafti eschem Hashem V'oyav eschem Haremi And this remains your essential self, even when we want to say, loy You're not my nation. I say, bnei You're the children. You're the children of the living God. This is what Judaism teaches about a person. This is what Yiddish guy teaches about the relationship of God to a person and we keep on saying it throughout davening, not only in the morning but also in the evening. And that's why the same Hesheah who tells Hashem, choose another people, get married to somebody else. At the end, when he realizes that he didn't want to leave his wife, he tells, in the name he tells the Jewish people, there's going to be a day you won't call me Baili, you're going to call me Ishi. You know the difference? Both mean a husband, but Baal means a Baal, a master. And Ishi is why was Isha called Isha? Because they're one. Ishi, my husband, is one with the Isha. Baili is my master. There will be a day you'll realize stop identifying me as this removed master and realize how deeply, deeply united we are. I'm going to tell you a powerful, powerful Vart one of the greatest luminaries in Jewish history is a man named Rabbeinu Gershem, Ma'or Hagoyla, Rabbeinu Gershem, the light of the exile. He lived in Germany, in Mainz. He was considered Rabbon Shalbnei Hagoyla, the whole German, major Jewish community in Germany and France, Ashkenazic Jury. He was considered its greatest leader. He lived in the 10th and 11th century so you're dealing with a generation even before Rashi, Rabbeinu Gershom. And Rabbeinu Gershom is known as Mo'ir Goyla. And the question has been asked, why did he get the title? Mo'ir Hagoyla, the light of the Golas? You could call Rashi Mo'ir Goyla. Rambam Mo'ir Goyla. Rambam Mo'ir Goyla. None of the Tanoyim Amiroyim, who lived in Golos, Rabbonon Sforoi, Gooynim, Rishoynim or Acharoinim, got that title, Mooyr not the author of Shulchan Aruch, <coughs> and not the other great poiskim of the Ashkenazic or Sephardic world, from the Ran to the Rajba to the Rambam, to Rabbi to Rabbi Yehuda Alevi, etc., etc., so there's a Vart from the Ostrovtsa Rebbe. The Ostrovtsa Rebbe was a, a Jew, a very great man who lived in Ostrovtsa in Poland. He passed away, Tafrej Peches, I think, 1928. Rabbi Chiel Mayer of Ostrovtsa. And he says as follows He says, Rabbeinu Gershem, if you look from a halachic point of view, you can't compare his contribution to Rashi or to the Rambam. And yet he gets this title because Rabbeinu Gershem instituted two things in the Jewish world, among others. One of them was no two wives. No two wives. He forbade polygamy with Chedim the Rabbeinu Gershom, no two wives. Second takana he made, <laughs> lo yigaris garish adamas karcha. You can't. Divorce your wife without her will, without her consent. Rabbeinu Gershom realized how history is developing and he said, when you could have trusted men, you could trust men. But in a generation like this, you can't do it. I want a divorce. With men and their impulses, they could not do it also. You say, wait, 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 wait. There's a woman here. Just like Kiddushin has to be midaita, has to be middaita. We're not talking about unique exceptions where the husband or the wife is napkhin of khaifenoysa or khaifenoysa when it's an impossible situation. Guy gets up, I'm getting divorced. We're not getting divorced. The halacha says, and the Gershom says, you can't just get divorced. Says, and here's one of the axioms in Jewish thought that we spoke about many times. There's no halacha in Judaism on a physical level that doesn't originate on a spiritual, emotional, metaphysical, and psychological level. In the ten hundreds. By the time the Gullus has reached close to a thousand years, the Khurban of the second base of I mean, was in 70. This is almost a thousand years later. Jews have been so downtrodden and dejected and persecuted by Christian Europe and by the Islamic religion, but much more by Christian Europe to the point that the church was telling the Jews there's a new covenant there's the Old Testament, as they call it, and there's the New Testament. Brisa God is disappointed with you. He made a new covenant. You rejected His Messiah, His Son, quote-unquote, according to their belief. He chose a new people. Look at you. We have full control. You're nobodies. You're losers. We do what we want with you. You're done. And Jews started to feel that way. Came Rabbeinu Gersh and when he instituted the idea of a halacha in marriage, it was a reflection of a spiritual halacha. And the halacha was you can't divorce your wife without her consent. In other words, God can't just get divorced from the Jewish people. Did we agree? Did he come to us and say, you were done? Never happened? So he can't divorce us, so we're married. They said, okay, he's married to us, but you know what? He married somebody else. <laughs> You're married to one, and then you get another one. So one stays, you know, it's good for the pictures. And one is the real one, the second one. Rabbi Nugershim said, no, you can't marry two wives. Rabbi Nugershim was Ma'or ha'goyle, because he illuminated the goyla. He brought light and hope and healing into the Jewish people, it wasn't just he preached these laws. He preached, he embodied, he taught the Jewish world the truth that there's no such a thing as a divorce between your loving Father in heaven who loves you like crazy, and there's no such a thing even that he married somebody else besides you. That's what he taught. Which, by the way, would explain why the Svardim didn't have this halakha. It's not just a historical, geographical, di- geographical difference. It has to do with a spiritual, psychological, and theological difference. Because those years, the, Sfar, the Muslims then were much more enlightened. The Jews in Spain were experiencing the Turazov, the golden... What is it called? The, uh, the golden age of Spain, the Turazov of Spain, that continued for another few centuries till the fanatic Almohads <coughs> came in, and then ultimately the Christians took over. But till then, relatively speaking, I say relatively with caution, you can't compare the persecution that Jews suffered in the Christian countries to the persecution of the Sephardic Jews, mostly under Muslim rule. At that point in Spain, all enlightenment came from the Muslims. The Rambam and most of the Rishonim in Spain wrote their works in Arabic. They were students of Arabic scholars in geometry, in mathematics, in astronomy, in science, in medicine, in poetry, in philosophy. The Rambam quotes them constantly in Maryanavuchim and the, others, the, other, the other great sages of Spain as well. It was a completely different reality. Today we're dealing with a different reality where Christians for the most part have mitigated their approach to the Jewish people and uh, the threats of barbaric fundamentalism come from the Islamists. But this would explain spiritually why Rabbi Gershom's Takana was so prevalent for Ashkenazic Jewry. There's a famous story and this is especially for people who come from Hasidic families and backgrounds like those who wrote me the letters, some of them who wrote the letters, not all of them. The father of most Hasidic Rebbes in Poland is considered the Rebbe Reb Melech, Rebbe Limelech of Legends, the Noyem Elimelech. And the Noyem Elimelech once set over. Each night, the Magad of Mizrich had a student who would stand, sit near his room and learn just to, to stay guard over there in the middle of the night. The Magad wasn't feeling well, and one night it was Rab Melech's turn when he was a student of the great Magad of Mesritsha, the successor of the Bol And it was after midnight, and he was sitting near the Mesritsha Maggid's room. And the Zohar says, and it's brought in Kabbalah after midnight, the portals of Ganadin open, and the yeshiva of Masifta de opens, the heavenly yeshiva opens, and suddenly the door opens up. And the Magad is standing by the door. And he turns to his beloved student, the Rebbe Reb Elimelech of Legends. They used to call him Melech. The Rebbe Reb Melech, but then they called him Melech. And the Maggid said these words: Herst Melach was Do you hear Melech, Rebbe Elimelech? Do you hear what we just heard in mesifta derakia in the heavenly yeshiva? Ad hatlib hotlib arasha gomer pungt gomer. The love of God to a Jew that you call a Russia, somebody who does all the wrong things, is the same powerful love like to a Jew who is righteous. This is what he tells the Rebbe of Melech. What does this mean? This means that when love is essential and unconditional, you don't distinguish. Do you know of a healthy mother who says, this child gives me nachas. Therefore, I love this child. This child does everything opposite of what I want and therefore I started to hate this child. Sometimes we feel this feeling of hate, but we know it's not real. You'll die for that child. You'll do anything for that child. Sometimes you express love to that child even more than another child because they need it so much more. And on the contrary, when a child experiences that love, it helps them reunite with their parents. Because the pain that's causing them so much alienation is mitigated. It's not like when a Jew experiences the full love, they say, oh, somebody asked me once, Rabbi Jacobson, you know, if you tell people that God loves them, there's a danger. Everybody will start sinning. After this she'ar, I'm going to get a few emails. Because of you, hundreds of Jews are going to start sinning. Why? Tell your she'ar, I thought, if I sin, kaput! Boom, you're done! But you told me he loves me anyway. So I could sin. So therefore from here I went straight to Burger King. (laughs) Not the person who, somebody who says somebody else went to Burger King. But let's think about this. We should have, we should take a delete from myriv, avas oilom, beis yisro, oyev ava yisro, because if you know God loves you, it's terrible. We should delete all the times it says that He loves us. We should take out the Gemara. It's the other way around. Let's think about it. If I come to you, I'm talking about a healthy person, I'm talking about somebody who's not healthy. It's a different situation. Then you just have to have compassion. I come to you, and I tell you that I love you unconditionally. But I don't say it. I prove it. I live it. And I behave this way with you for years. What do you think a normal person's responses? Ooh. He loves me unconditionally. You know what I'm going to do tonight? I'm going to take a dagger and I'm going to hack it at him. I'm going to put it straight into his chest because he loves me anyway. That's what a person is going to respond. How a person is going to respond? A normal person is going to respond, "Wow. I never want to separate from you. I want to be close to you." It's so beautiful to have a relationship with you. It's so special to have a relationship with you. Don't worry that from teaching your children about love, (laughs) Yiddishkeit will not be able to be transmitted. The Yiddishkeit that will be transmitted will be one that people celebrate holistically, calmly, wholesomely. And that's really what Yiras Hashem means. What does Yiras Hashem mean? Fear of God. What are you afraid of? People often say, I'm afraid that the lightning, a kid once told me, I took off my yarmulke and I was waiting for lightning to strike or for the earthquake to happen. And I put it right back on. I took it off again and he did it, he told me 200 times. And you know what? He said, I'm alive. Another teenager told me about Shabbos with the switch, the same thing. I was waiting to die. And then I realized, nothing happens. Hey, 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 hey. He was taught. You take off the yarmulke, you do this. Boom, whap, you're zapped up. And you're done. That's in this world, next world. huh? You think the Lachboimah fires are big. And with you, God is going to put barbecue sauce. And he's going to have french fries and steak and spare ribs. You're going to be achhticharilis. Chabad, achefz amachayah. And then at some point they're like, please, leave me alone. Yiras Hashem, fear of God, what are you afraid of? You could be afraid of punishment, but that's not what Yiras Hashem means. Yiras Hashem in its its simple, beautiful term means, I'm afraid of ruining such a beautiful relationship. Imagine you have the most beautiful marriage in the world, like present company. And you go on a business trip. You're in Thailand or in Vietnam. So for Shabbos you go to Chabad to eat kishka. But Thursday night is the Chmishmar. And your wife is not here. She's not going to find out. So you want to go sin. So some people unfortunately do that. But what about a person who has an extraordinary relationship with his spouse? Full trust in her and she has full trust in him. She may never know, but he's scared. Not that she's going to find out. What is he scared of? He's scared of betraying such a powerful relationship. I can't do this to you. I can't do this to me. I will not forgive myself for the rest of my life that for a temporary powerful pleasure I gave up something so infinitely precious to me. That's fear. That's a deep fear. But it's a beautiful fear. This is what Yir Shemaya means. Fear of heaven. God doesn't always zap people who do the wrong thing in this world. In fact, even in the next world, God doesn't zap people. He heals people. Just like with your child, you don't zap them. You don't take revenge from them. When we speak about punishments in the whole Tanakh, when the prophets speak about punishments, you have to hear, Ahavdi eshemam or Hashem. It's like I told you once, I think we spoke about this in Amuna number 4, you remember, when we spoke about reward and punishment. I had this whole, this whole situation with my socks, you remember? I sweat a lot, as you might see. I sweat a lot, even when there's air conditioning. Culture when the heat is on. Culture when summer is coming. And my socks suffer from it. They suffer the consequences. So one day my socks were smelly, You'll forgive me over there in the Ezra's Nashim. Now I'm going to talk for the men. Before with with texture was for the women. The sack, the socks didn't have the best... You couldn't make Burya Minibus on them. Let's put it that way. Different type of Samim. And they were also dirty. And they were, they were filthy. So I took my fa- socks and I put them in a washing machine. And they got filled up with water. And then I put in chemicals. And I put in soap. And then I made the water hot. And then I started to do hakafas. And the socks started to swerve in the washing machine for an hour very, very fast. And then I decided to squeeze them. I had the machine squeeze out, wring out all the water. And finally, Vaifta Hashem Hagar hagarbaya. God opened up the mouth, the Eberstot and the Moyal. Remember what your teacher told you when you spoke? Vaifta Hashem Sp? Anybody? Somebody once told me. Vaifta Hashem Sp. God opened up the mouth of the socks. And the socks said, Rabbi, why, why? I don't understand. We have been loyal socks to you, 100% cotton that you have been wearing for years and years. Why would you take us? First of all, you drown us in a pool. Then you put hot water. You put chemicals, you put shampoo, you put soap, and it's not enough, the torture. Now you swerve us a million times. Azoy, azoy, azoy. Such persecution. Such barbarism. I never knew, Rabbi why you could be so sadistic. And if it wasn't enough, you started to quetch and kvetch and kvetch till there was nothing left. And then you have enough the chutzpah to put us on, to use us again. We feel absolutely used and abused. So we went together to a therapist. And I looked at my socks, and I said, my tired my tired My dear precious socks, I really like you. I have nothing but good feelings towards you. Nothing but hakarasa type gratitude. I'll tell you the problem. When I bought you in the store, you were so fresh. You smelled so delicious. You were so soft. You were so geschmack. And as a result of all my sweating and all my stuff that I do, You became dirty, you became filthy, you became smelly. So I put you into this place to be able to restore you to your innate freshness. Look how clean you are, look how soft you are. Look how good you smell. Ah, I'm looking forward. And the socks embraced me, and they still sit on my feet with serenity and joy, and we have since had a good relationship. I don't, I did not put my socks in the washing machine to take revenge because they smell. I did not do it to punish and denigrate and destroy the socks. Now forgive me for my brute and really remote metaphor, but do you really think your soul is treated with less dignity than my socks? <laughs> Trust me, I don't have deep feelings to my socks. I like them. If you want, I could tell you where I buy them. They're good socks. I like them. I don't think I love them. If I don't have those socks, I'm upset because they're comfortable. But I don't have such deep emotions to my socks. It's not my fetish. Do you think your soul has less dignity than my socks do in my eyes? And Judaism is just God waiting. Oh, he did the wrong thing. Whack, whack, whack. If not in this world, in Eilam Abba, are you going to get punished? We always have to understand schar and einish, reward and punishment as an expression of absolute closeness, of tikkun, of healing, of rehabilitation. When some, if I lie, if I lie, if I transgress one of the mitzvahs, ase'a mitzvahs loisaseh, My soul feels abused, my soul has a stain, my soul is in pain. If I put my finger into the burning stove, my finger gets burnt. Is it a punishment? It's a consequence. There are laws of physical science and there are spiritual laws of science. There's the laws of the body and the laws of the soul. You walk out and it's ten below zero without a coat, you're going to get a cold, you jump off a roof, you're probably going to hurt one of your feet. I utter a lie, my soul is hurt, my soul is stained. There's nothing, a person who lies, they're abusing their soul. A person eats inappropriately, eats the wrong thing, it's something that happens in my body and in my soul. And love doesn't mean that I don't care about you and therefore I allow you to destroy yourself. Love means I want you to be able to be who you really are and who your ultimate destiny is and that's the essence of all reward and punishment in Yiddishkeit, In this world and in the next world. But never ever should a Jew feel like a hopeless, depressed, crushed, nobody victim who God is disappointed with and hates. He's crazy in love with you and looks at you every morning and says, In fact, there's a Zoyar. Reb Shimon was quoting Nevi'im, who spoke about fear of God. One of the psukim he says is, Hashem Shamati Shim I think Chavakoy. God, I heard about you and I was afraid. And Rip Shimon says, Hosim Yeyeh Savalameve Dachel. By Matan Torah, it was fine for the Jewish people to be afraid. They saw God, they could be afraid. Anan, b'chavivusa Talia Milsa. Rip Shimon, by Yechay's words, the author of the, by us, The whole Yiddish sky depends on love. I didn't write the Zoya, my friends. Rabshim and Bayechoi made this distinction. The same Rashbi who says, by Matan Torah it says, Vayar Ha'om Vayanu. Who's Ha'om? The Erev Rav. Those, the Egyptians who attached themselves, they were afraid. Anan, we, Bachavivus, Italia, Milsa. It all depends on love. you should love God. may Parshish Eik, if God loves you, in Malachi, ahavti eschem amr Rashbi brings three verses to authenticate his claim to his students. And we say this, those who say tikkun lel and say the zoyar about shvuos, I know there's different customs. So you'll see this year in the tikkun that you say, if you don't come to my class, and you get to say (laughs) tikkun al shvus. Unless you could sit at the class and say tikkun, if it gets boring. You'll see in the zoyar, in other words, he's saying, even yiras Hashem, which is a healthy yiras Hashem. It's a fear of ruining a relationship, Rashbi says still by us the main thing has to be, the focus has to be on love. In other words, even the fear is an expression of love I love you so much I'm afraid to ruin such a powerful thing such a precious thing trust me children understand this children understand this better than adults children know truth more than adults children understand infinity more than adults children understand love more than adults because it hasn't been damaged so much children understand this this doesn't mean there's no boundaries. I don't want my words to be misconstrued. There's always those who say, You heard? This doesn't mean there's no boundaries. This doesn't mean there's, there's right and there's wrong. There's consequences. There's Olam there's Olam Haba. I know about Ganeid and I even know about Gehenna. <laughs> we know. It's a perspective to understand it in the context of Yiddishkeit. And this doesn't mean everything in life is understood. And sometimes the love is hard to feel. We spoke last week, the story of Eiv. We spoke in number nine. Sometimes one doesn't feel it. There's no question. Life is challenging. One has to appreciate that in every situation there is some love. In every situation, you're being held, you're being hugged, you're being embraced. Like a woman, like Moshe Rabbeinu says, like a mother holds her child, like David HaMelech says, I feel like an infant on the arms of my mother. I was in Chicago the other day speaking to a group of young teenagers boys and girls in high school and I took questions and one of the questions the one of the boys asked was and this is what I want to conclude with so you don't tell me too many notes unless you forgot that story already he said why does God care if we're free why can't God say, I'm God, I took you out of Egypt, and the purpose is you could just chill. Do whatever you want, wherever you want, however you want, whenever you want. That's what He should have said. Why does He have to give us, He took us out of slavery to give us 613 laws? Come on. That's love. <laughs> That's love. So I told the teenager, I said, I'm going to tell you a little story. Somebody bought me a gift. iPhone 7. iPhone 7. I'm not so good with uh, updated technology. So I am from the nerds who takes out a manual. I read sometimes the manuals to see, uh, Technisch, technically how you have to do it. I look at the manual and I see a bunch of restrictions and laws about how to use the phone. First thing it says, you can't put the phone in the bathtub. You can't take the phone into the pool. You can't put it in the sink. You can't put it into the water. Then he says, I can't put it on a hot steam. It can't be on a radiator. You can't put it in the refrigerator. You can't put it in the freezer. Now, the person who bought it told me it cost $700. At some point, I was reading the manual, and I got very frustrated with Steve Jobs and ben Alichtekin, whatever, who gave us the iPhone and gave us the manual. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, I've got it as a gift. But the chutzpah of a person, he charges you $700, Apple is a multi-billion dollar company, and then he has the audacity to tell me where to put it and where not to put it. He's going to tell me not to put it in the bathtub. And I said to myself, free at last free at last. Enough years of trauma and restrictions and repression and crushing my spirit and crushing my freedom. It's my phone. I paid 700 bucks just because I got it as a gift. It's none of his business. Somebody else paid 700 dollars. And I have the right to do with it what I want because I'm a free person. I'm not an inhibited slave. Lincoln liberated the slaves. So after Mr. Jobs, I took the phone and I put it into the bathtub. And I let it submerge in the mikveh for a few hours until I felt like a free man. And then I had to text somebody. And I took the phone. I wanted a text. It's not working. So what do you do now? So I open the manual. The manual says if it gets wet, you put it in rice for three days. Build a mountain of rice, put it in the rice for three days. Now I really got angry. The man has a chutzpah to tell me to take rice. Now I have to buy rice. Not enough $700. I have to buy rice, make a pile of to put in a pile of rice for three days. No way! I'm going to put it in French fries and ketchup. And I made a pile of French fries and ketchup and I put the phone into the French fries and ketchup for three days and three nights. And then I took the phone out. This time I had to call the Hevra Kaddisha and the mesaskim, and say Kaddish. It was Mamish Ammatsev of Zichroi Lavrocha, Of blessed memory and that was the end of it. And now I was really burning. The low life not only makes all these restrictions, now my phone is ruined as well. So I went to therapy. Talking about therapy. And after a long, intensive process of introspection and internal work, I came to an ingenious realization that I want to share with all of you intelligent young men and women here this evening. And that is that Mr. Jobs was actually not trying to restrict my life. He was actually trying to enlighten my life, both in terms of enlightenment and in terms of lightening. Why? He said, listen, this is a toy, a tzatzke that we created. I'm the engineer, I made this. As the scientist, let me describe to you its features, its characteristics. Let me just tell you, if you want optimal use of this phone, put it here, don't put it here. If you put it here, you can put it there. But you won't be able to seize the opportunity of utilizing this phone, at best, it will function in a mediocre way. At worst, it's going to die, it's going to be ruined. Coming from what? From simply describing the nature of the phone. You don't want to believe me? That's fine. But I made the phone, I know a little bit about it. That's what I realized. This is Steve Jobs. A guy in California who was a brilliant, brilliant mastermind of all this technology and you could thank him for all the time you don't have and for the fact that your kids don't talk to you at dinner and for the fact that nobody can have a conversation anymore you could thank him which is probably why he didn't allow his kids to have it because all the people that create it know what it is everybody else gets sucked into it, not them shine but this is the beginning it's not all but it's the beginning of a perspective. I tell the teenagers to understand what Torah and Mitzvahs are. The human brain is far more complicated than the iPhone. The iPhone is a pretty nice tsatska. Let's face it. What this could contain is a lot. But it pales in comparison infinitely to what exists in one brain of the jello Three inches that exists in your head and what's contained in that brain beyond mind-staggering, pun intended. Beyond. And it's so complex. Who is a person? What is a person? What is the meaning of life? What is the meaning of existence? What is my place in the cosmos? What is purpose? What is destiny? Who am I? Who am I not? So we go to psychologists We go to counselors, we go to therapists, we go to philosophers, we go to politicians, we go to teachers, we go to gurus, we go to healers to tell us who am I? Help me calm down, help me live a life of meaning. And some of you have spent 20, 30, 40, 50 years by these people, tens of thousands of dollars that you could have given to me. It's not such a joke. Okay, it is a joke. <laughs> what do they? How do they know? Some of them know. How do they know? They study people from outside in. If I'm a marriage therapist and I've been seeing couples for 40 years, I have some experience. And then I write a book and I talk to about hundreds of couples and I know experience from outside in. But imagine you can get a map, a blueprint from the one who created the human brain who created the cosmos, who created the planet, who created the human psyche, who created every aspect of our world from the tiniest worm to the largest galaxy, from a blade of grass, a shrub, a bush, a plant, to a rhinoceros rhinoceros, hippopotamus or the Milky Way, from the Big Bang to a tiny grain of sand or flake of snow. The one who engineered it, the mind behind it, the core behind it, So this creator comes to the Jew and to the person. And here's a blueprint. Here is a manual. And the manual says, listen, I'll tell you who you are. You want to optimize your usage. You want to maximize your life and live life to the fullest, physically, spiritually, emotionally, socially, psychologically, in this world and in the next world and in this world. Here is the manual. And I know you make mistakes. And when there's mistakes, you bring out the rice. Unless you're an Ashkenazi and you don't do the rice. So you'll bring out the quinoa. Unless you're a machmer, you get rid of the quinoa, bring out the potatoes. Unless you don't do that also, take out the bananas. Whatever it is. Part of the plant, you make mistakes. Here's a manual that comes from love. I'm going to describe to you who you are and the best way to live. Sometimes they may appreciate what the manual says. Sometimes I may not. I still don't know why this can't go in the water. Why can I go in the water and this can't? It's not waterproof. Brilliant. That's a geschmack of art. And I still don't know why rice is so much better than French fries. Both are hazardous foods. Both are carbohydrates that create sugar in your psyche and make you depressed and lethargic. I love them both. I know they're both bad. If I would have hated one of them, I knew it was good. I, I love them both, I know. But as I use this, not really. But my point is, sometimes I can appreciate it, sometimes I can't. Sometimes I can go to a superficial place, I can go to a deeper place. But no one should ever think for a moment that there's a mitzvah, That there's a law, there's a halacha that has to do with crushing, that has to do with repressing, that has to do with negative. All of Yiddishkeit is an endless melody of Anan B'chavivusa Tal The essence of Judaism is that the creator, the infinite creator, conceived us out of love. He created us out of love. He wants a relationship with us in love, which means a relationship based on choice. Because if it's love, it's always based on choice. A relationship to be there and accompany us throughout all of the journeys of our life through thick and thin. And thus, every Jew has to know, God loves you the way you are. And God Takes pride in what you can be. Have a wonderful week. Amen. to you. He's still up. Wow. Next Thursday night there will be a shear. God willing, eight thirty. Ah. Uh? The Gemara says in Kiddushin Yisrael Mumar. I think Daf Yutches that he had a gather of a Jew who was a mummer, like a mashumad, a Jew who left. That's what the Gemara says about Esau versus Yishmael. Yishmael didn't have a gather of a Jew. I'm that. sorry, Yitzchak. So Yitzchak, not Yishmael, goes after the mother. Mashenken Esau, Yitzchak, but Esau did have the gather of a Jew. He was called Zerah. He was called the child of Yitzchak. First because Yishmael's mother was Hagar and Esau's mother was Rifka. Esau's children were not Jewish but Esau was a Jew because Esau didn't marry a Jew you remember who Esau married? Machalos, Basmas yeah I know there was a problem and we have to redo you mean older, older ones yeah 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 I know I know That's in the Bain. No. Thank you, thank you, thank you very much. Stoif is given? Good. Rukhima Bayam, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah, how are you shalom alaykum?
0: Tomorrow one of your group is from Florida at nine a.m. Sure. Just email me, okay? E- e- email, email me. Tomorrow, and if you could just maybe report in 30 seconds or something, or, or just say prayer.
1: Okay, sure. With pleasure. Hatzlocha. Should be good news.
0: Hasta el Zananganuman?
1: Okay. Welcome. Thank you for coming. Thank you. Huh? And she was attentive. Thank you. She have a lot of hatslocha. Huh? Yeah, Okay. Last week
0: you give a whole thing about
1: questions.
0: Yeah. You see the Avraham Dina? We asked a question. He was very cold.
1: That one long question, I i him very accountable. That wasn't a question out of pain. When he asked, Khala will the judge of the world not do justice? He wasn't. There wasn't. There was no consequence there. Why not? That was much worse. You would think the judge of the whole world is unjust. That's pretty. Uh, I'm saying the one that comes from pain is not... Uh, it's completely different. It came from pain, like, why are you going to destroy such a, such a people? The other one was an issue of... It was cerebral, out of trust. It was an issue of trust. And even there, you know, we always have to understand when we speak about the sins of the others, b'chal of great tzaddik, and what does it really mean? A lot of it explains. We're talking about a very subtle, subtle... Uh, But that's the difference. Hatzlocha.
0: Yeah. Okay. okay. Thank you. Thank you. I was that's that's
1: good. It. So, thank okay. You. okay. 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 was Okay. Okay.
0: I was, la- I was laughing at myself at how misconcepted some of those ideas were, hmm. uh, like, in, in literally like self-reflection And how how dumb the, the whole. Uh, also, I heard that this, this this concept of like fear
2: uh, uh, of, of Hashem, in, in, in the fashion you described in the beginning of the speech, that that resembles some of, like paganism, and like how the early the early guys was all about
0: how. Oh, you sacrifice them so yeah, you appease you. Appeasement.
1: The pagan idea was you appease God. You give him a good meal yeah, and you yeah, get him yeah, he in he he a good mood. Yeah. And the tragedy <laughs> is that some people take that into Judaism. Yeah, it's, it's, like they're going to appease God. God. It comes like El, El Tishrei, they say, oh, I'll give extra tzedakah to get him in a good mood. I'll say more to him to get him in a good mood. It's almost like appeasing. It's and it's it's a mis, uh, it's a misunderstanding of what we're dealing with. To the point of comical tragedy, yeah.
0: Like when you have a cup that's full to the top. Yeah. It's full. Yeah. If you start pouring new stuff in there, you're still going to make a mess.
1: No, what's... So
0: how, do you, how do you solve that problem?
1: Ah. You got to empty out the water. <laughs> you got to take the cup and go like this and refill new water. Okay. Press eject. Take out the CD. And put in a new CD.
0: Okay. It's
1: slow, day by day. When you dive in, you think about it, you internalize it, before you do a mitzvah, before you say amen. when you learn Torah. It's a daily exercise. And it's good to talk to somebody about it. It's good to have somebody to talk about it with. You understand what I'm saying only so much in the phone. <laughs> no no this phone is infinite don't worry oh, yeah. once you get rid of the toxicity okay. it's infinite you don't have to worry
0: people come so toxic so yeah
2: Great question. It's a
1: great question. Say, I mean, it's, 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 it's able, totally. two kids in the same house with opposite a- the,
0: the, the Yeah. Yeah, and then the other person gets the same the yeah, day, yeah. And, 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 and yeah. So you're talking the Sprach disease Yeah.
1: You're asking why two children could be taught the same thing and this yeah. it's not
0: sure if it's a question
1: or not. one of us happy al- darker right? Different children have different sensitivities.
0: It also works. It also
1: works. It doesn't work. It works. And in China, you know, some people, some
0: kids... <laughs> it, work, it doesn't
1: work today. You know by anybody it works. I don't know by anybody that it works. I'm,
0: I'm, no, it, I'm not saying...
1: No, not together. Einish is love. Yeah. If it's not love, it's cruel. Not two together. You understand the chilik? Not stum, you punish and you love. Today I'm in a good mood, I love you. Tonight, tomorrow I'm in a bad mood, I punish you. The word is a as a punishment. It's a punishment. It's a in the You're trying to help the person. You're not trying to punish him. Why do you have to punish him? If I love my child, why am I punishing him? Either because I want to take revenge, because he got me so angry, huh? or I lose myself. In other words, I'm not healthy. I'm not, I'm not healthy. In other words, I lost myself. I'm not in a good space. Yeah, I'm healthy, but I'm not in a good space. So, oh, I'm going to teach you a lesson. You'll see. You don't start up with me. Or I lose myself. I'm impulsive. I get in cost, I go crazy. Of course. Of and right in, in the the of it. If a child is running in the street, you have to pull him away, of course. Right. What's thinks, the
2: question? So
1: okay that's the only listen of course, more it says it says in Svarim that any that will take a person away from an Aveda is a fine azach you know what I mean if a person needs years to take him away from an Aveda but if that's the whole the only thing of Yiddishkeit that's the whole side of Yiddishkeit I serve God because I'm going to get punished it's a pretty lousy relationship I mean imagine a marriage. Yeah? Person says, the only reason I don't betray my wife is the only reason I do what she wants is, I don't want her to punish me. I want her to give me supper. But then a has to be was is a the organ We stuck in fire. stuck in stuck in fire. The ganze is symbolic. It's the The whole Indian is symbolic. He's trying to explain that each aveda has a certain consequence on the neshama. You I know, a I know. do Of course, if not, if if that child, you have to explain to that child, I schlepped you away, yeah, I gave you a a spank, because I didn't want, Uh, you should should get hurt from the car. Yeah, you didn't do it because you lost yourself, you did it because you're crazy about the child. It's true, at that moment he may start crying because he doesn't know. You're right, he's a five-year-old. Your baby's holding a knife. You take it away. He's going to start screaming. Yeah. You don't say, oh, give it back to him. That's not love, that's hate. <laughs> <laughs> you don't discipline him. You let him go into the street. You don't like him. You hate him. <laughs> a person needs discipline. You need chesed, you need Gvura. You need balance. You're saying if we would only talk this, we would lose the other. Depends how. If you're talking about Kalos Roy, you're right. If it's just love, 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 do whatever you want, that's not That's not, that's not the Ava of Torah. The Ava of Torah is Hashem the Av of Torah is Tayag Mitzvah Satora. Vahftas Hashem al lekecha
0: When
1: Rashi says Anam b'chavivus itali milsa, by us it all depends on love. It wasn't coming from. Meduchtzig meduchtzig that in the art kufa, anybody that I spoke to, who is a chmasasek in chinuch of youngsters, or adults, or Kirov, of any group from far right to far left, from Chassidim, from Litvisha, from Yeshivisha, from more modern. A Yiddishkeit that is missing this is very, very weak by people. Yes, go ahead. Thank you for coming. Thank you. Why not?
0: And get
1: you do tshuva, it's over. So, have... so you do tshuva. Hashem says you do tshuva, it's finished. To... No more, you don't have to... A person does tshuva, they don't mention a thing or a half a thing on the day of judgment. Yes. You clean the socks, it's fresh. <laughs> Don't worry, you'll do just fine. Don't don't think negative. Oh, I don't know. Oh, I don't do that. I don't think he does that. But if you want, he'll give you. He's in... probably there'll be food. If it's uh, this place, there'll be food. Thank you for coming. Regards to your father-in-law. Just send him my regards. Yeah. Is this the truth of Is this the truth of the truth of the base? of the truth of the truth the 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 a is the truth it's a very interesting word. In other words, it's not a very good thing. And it brings you to The We have to We I hate you, I love you. The Aves is the same as the is the same the in a the is the the Wir wissen nicht, wie wir es zu machen. Hast du mit der Kirche so Du verstehst, also weißt alles, ohne er ohne es und er ist in deinem Adrege, und du bist nonsam. Und ist da, hatte, nicht Stock in den Sinne. Verkehrt. Eure, wir sind abhängig, Danach fragt er... Ah? Das Nein, in Tanya, er hat mit Danach fragt er, wenn da beide doch sehr schwer. You look. Er sagt sagte, darf euch Rachmanis haben auf ihm. Und der Rachmanis wird machen sicher, dass der Sinn nicht mehr wartet sein soll, nicht mehr wartet sein, der Ava. Das ist ein Tanja. Das der ganze Cheshmer. Das ist der Hezbe. Danach ist da muss ich von gewissen Minimum, von einem Kursum, von einem Heilig-Belle in Israel, von einem Maveren, von einem Amal-Dossam, von einem Bechal an ander Er bringt es beim Sof von, von, von Schabbos, man sagt, der Schabbos peregt er sein. That's what it is. Then the one thing. is that we wegen to do the Tuneukish he said, All the things that we need to do the end of that is is not I i in As a man who ha, ha, in a, a stob, technisch, was Aber inside, is, sehr oft, is a very So, when I because every Shabbos in school has a man with the most tattoos. He er comes here in the school, that's for him trauma, and he goes on to Shabbos. I ask him, he is a man called Shabbos. By him, what is Shabbos? Shabbos by him equals abuse. You understand? He does Shabbos. He does away from Shabbos He doesn't what Shabbos is. Huh? Ah? He doesn't have brings the roof in them. a I can't is a very good Nishkan this is when you see Yamsov.
0: It's
1: a very good es If you see So this is... It's a very good thing. So do you think of the Lord's Prayer? So in the morning, Das heißt, dass er jedes Aritzeach, ein Terrorist. Das ist nicht der Kuder. Das nicht dass er Kuss in der Welt. und er geht gegen den Eberste. er geht gegen den er, weiß, kann da er kann er Er weiß, was er nicht was er ich weiß nicht, dass du bist mein Tater, Kann ich mehr sein in auf der Hände, also, ich, Tate, noch bin ich. Also, ich nicht mehr ich nicht mehr
2: kids. And he's, he's okay. showing everybody he can just open a close line. And can start yeah, talking right. Inside. You y- you're right. Okay, so you... Have okay, to okay. So you so, uh, but it doesn't you, justify you to say, oh, yeah, he's such a sweetheart. Hugging and oh, you, you, and now, you have to have But there are times that a pizza and, you
1: and you have to stop it. You have to come strong sometimes.
2: You have to stop it.
1: But also remember, remember that everybody is watching, and a lot of people who are not like that internally are struggling. So the way you behave with that one is also going to be uh, internalized of everybody else. So you have to. You don't want to act impulsively. You want to act from a place of 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 Aves Hashem and avas israel together, which is Hainuach Remember, I'll give a dugma. It's not in every case. I'm not saying in every case. If Khalila, a child in a family, has cancer, huh? That's fine. If a child Khalila has cancer, or another mahalah, yeah, they don't go to school, they get all the treats in the world, they don't have to do anything, right? And the other kids say, Tati, I'm not going to school. Yeah. A healthy father and mother tell that child, listen, we have a serious emergency situation. We're all shluchim together to help this child yes he's going to go through different things that we're not going to go through we're lucky but you don't we, we don't we don't help them by screaming at that child necessarily and saying oh go to school so what we have to do is we have to explain to the other children the challenge we have and turn them all into shluchim emissaries to help out the situation so you empower them rather than make them influenced by it yeah It's more challenging. It's more challenging, I know. That That's the challenge. <laughs> that's the challenge. I know, I know. No, no, I'm not saying this is easy. I know it's not easy. And I know it's painful.
2: It's not a TEDx. How many kids at risk? i are definitely Okay. I'm not they're bad,
1: they're good. You have to, to be mafchen. You have to be mafchen. You're right. You're right. You're right, 100%.
2: I, I want to My first time I went to Etzroh, I remember it was Shabbos. And I see a Friday car that pulls up the street. I see a guy that's screaming, Hey, it's Shabbos. And I thought, Mommy, you're tard. You expect the guy to get out of the car, put his keys down, start walking up, go to the show. And I was thinking to myself, after I was in troll for another few years, I started seeing that fight that's between the room of Friday and troll. It's not so simple to say that it's only a they didn't show enough love between the firm and Freud. There is a fight that's very, very deep, sinner, between the firm and fry. in a sense. It's not just a question, oh, you just to show some kind of love and expect that everybody's going to. In other words, these guys are being mumrah lahachas in a certain way, and we will do anything in our power to show them God doesn't exist, and we are going to pull you down with it. There has to be a certain face. But the, the truth country. is that even in
1: the 1940s, when there were leaders of the country who were yeshiva light, who went to Cheder, the Chazonish. Call them to neikus In tafshen ayin ches, I think it's fair to say that ninety nine percent are to neikus It doesn't mean so the geder of mumalahaches. I would be careful. It doesn't mean they're right chas v'shalom, and it doesn't mean that it's not a big pirza. No, no, but, but the approach, it. the approach of kiruv hadas in Eretz Israel has produced thousands and thousands of Bali Truva. Thousands of Bali truva For sure, but i I wonder how many Yidin came to c- close to Shabbos as a result of this uh, screaming and hollering. How many Yidin became Shemitato mitzvah? How many I don't know one. I don't know one. You you tempted to become Machal Shabbos until you saw the guy screaming. So if they wouldn't scream, you would be a machal Shabbos today. The emus. That was your Tainug of Shabbos? No, 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 no. Really? Yeah, By the way, there are mazmen, the rocks before Shabbos. How do they deal with muktza? No, no, I don't mean... Gantz, it's all musman. It's a musman v'aymet for them. I don't know. I... In the 50s, I, <laughs> pulling
2: kids to kibbutz in right, left, and center. And only because they make, they were oymet al-mishma, a lot of people were safe from not going to kibbutz.
1: I'm asking, okay. I'm asking, do you know today <laughs> rocks, one from me. a bocher, who doesn't leave Torah and mitzvahs because people throw rocks and scream? And that's their, wow, Yiddishkeit is powerful. Oh, God is real. Now I know, really? You know one like that? And well, ask another question. You know one Bacher, let's put it this way, who left Yiddishkeit, who became a secular Jew because he didn't have enough screaming in his house at secular people? You know one such person? Really? Bamas. And al Alev. Exactly. <that's> a steward uh, sort of
2: <that's> a- screaming a
1: child has to be present and a parent has to a parent has to be present in their child's life 24 hours a day avada. He doesn't mean screaming you mean to be completely no 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 it's not a stita. you have to be present in your child's life and see every step of the way and be attentive and be responsive of course no question how many parents are really able to build up such a perfect picture nobody builds up a perfect picture i know but how many families so we can all grow right, nobody can, all grow. can be perfect i mean and if you have a perfect parent, trust me it's crazy <laughs> if you have parents who are perfect this is not a problem
0: <laughs>
1: huh? It's not the whole thing. It's the most difficult thing. You can do it with your hand. Because you can do it with You can do it with your hands. You can It's when you have the most beautiful, beautiful soul in the world. The most beautiful soul in the world. And it gets dirty. The best thing that you would want is when you have a nice, beautiful shirt and it gets dirty. Mommy, please clean it. Mommy, please clean it. I ask you a question. The body is in the grave. A soul is spiritual. It also says snow. There's also ice. Pain? Pain.
2: What's the pain? When huh? pain is your
1: you do what It's symbolic. Okay, that's not when I what it means. I'll give you a dogma. I'll give you a dogma. A from That's a word from the Baal That's a word from the Baal from The, Baal Tev, huh? the nekama is... Wow, hey, fear. Tell the Siak of Yosef. I'll give a dogma. Somebody has a trauma from childhood. And they go to a therapist, a good one. And they want to heal. What does he do? He brings it up. What happens in the room? You know what happens? Huh? The person reacts sometimes hysterically yelling, sobbing they could throw themselves on the floor somebody will come to the parents the guy was dressed in a beautiful suit he's in real estate he has a stock portfolio it's the Mizrach, what are you doing? and the therapist is I'm taking him through this Gehenna so he should be able to live a free life he should be able to clear himself up from all the poison is it painful? it's painful but it's the most loving thing you can do for this person it's the most yeah. loving thing is it painful taking out a splinter is painful and but through the pain he's going to become so much more liberated and happy it's like taking out the infection taking out the machala and not to do it is not loving <laughs> Officially, they say by mitzvah, no.
2: <laughs> no,
1: no, okay. I knew I misunderstood. I didn't say people are not at fault. People have <laughs> When you realize who you are you you have more p'chidah, not less p'chidah. when you live in fear you have less p'chidah. when you live with power you have more khir not less now,
2: at what point do you say tell a person you made your wrong decision and you do something wrong something wrong was done you no no he means when he makes a decision he's saying when he made a decision I want the shemi chud everybody here to be my gal saturday night.
1: What's never going to happen. You know Why? that. I never saw it happen.
2: You never saw it. In our day
1: you'll never see this. Right. You'll you're never see this. You will, you will never see dumb.
2: this. You of could I want God is what what title that understands a guy sees a, a piece of type and he's mistake for it, he wants to do an a and he of the most perfect upbringing you
1: tell me that he doesn't have you said a the shemi it's on all the shemi so yeah, a yeah. a yeah. so, what that have you, you think you think thousands of years of Jewish history didn 't accomplish anything you 're talking about a refined generation of This is Yidin that come from thousands of a hundred of mysterious Nefesh, mamish you 're dealing with halik in there it 's not Pashat. you don 't have a Yid who gets up today and you don 't have such a yid. I'm telling you, you, don't find this. At, at least 99.9, what you don't see.
2: Huh? I'm asking you a question. I haven't watched, and i watching. Prefer the movies the whole
1: night. Like, explain to me what. You you yeah, yeah, yeah. Bnachem Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Never met in there. Kind of you won't see this. I'm telling you, you won't see it. You won't. Tell me where. I
2: understand that.
1: You won't see it. You will not see it. You will see anger. You will see ignorance. You will see frustration. Guys Oh, no, okay. Yeah, no. Taiva itself. Anna Lashem Yechud. Yeah, Taiva, So Anna Lashem Yechud. I'm saying you don't have a Yeravim ben Avot today. You really don't have it. <laughs> and even Yeravim ben Avot, the Rambam says, that he's accountable for eating, with, for cooking on Yom Tov for Shabbos, without an aid of Tavshillah. Yeravim ben Avot, who's l'choy to the worst of the worst. at kedekach the relationship is still there. i is the gemara from a Chinuch perspective. I'm asking from a Chinuch perspective. We
2: have a... Carl over here, who got involved in Taiva, and because he's involved in Taiva, he's doing cold over usages, Yeah, right? And he's inside his class, and yeah. he's causing other boys to fall. Yeah. Him, right? Now, so, what, so what's the it? explain to me how do you take care of such a problem and his parents are coming and they're saying the school's a bunch of rich and a bunch of children and what's it all how do you deal with a problem now that there's an internal problem <laughs> <laughs> the one the with them giving a kiss on the cheek is not going to deal with the problem right now it has to be a sometimes it demands rules. that you have to sure. yeah but sometimes the it demands Leo. you have to have the rules. Yeah. yeah but cool a, but um, the uh. there has to be sometimes that yes. we have yeah. rules and even um, the people yeah. get hurt by yeah. it yes, we yeah. have sure. to
1: and for their benefit, and for their benefit, and
2: sometimes a, has, a, a school has to make sure. hard which sure. may seem cruel, but that's the type of other children. Is also so, you so can't so always say yes. So, are you asking that Sad. sometimes already has to be out there ready. and he has to say Altus Clark?
1: Toscanini Tess Aleph Sama Hof Aleph Nun Aleph Nun Yud. As given a gross a grosser musicant, musicant.
0: Ah, ja
1: yeah. yo. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Machna Thank you. So If it was delicious, if it was delicious
2: Huh? Right
1: now, didn't didn't spirit spirit then, Who didn't, then, bring so smack, it, Godal Godal didn't bring it out Which <laughs> godle didn't bring it out Rashbi is <Ishken> <laughs> the king godle The Bolshamp is the <laughs> king Malachi Yeremia Moshe Rabenu is king godle And they were, they were a victim Yes The noye malach levase <laughs> bat <laughs> chevedat chamed chashlevy bchaim velojena The same soifer a רב נחמן from Breslev Fregem, רב נחמן of the 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 and
2: the
1: balshemtiv med uh, 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 the koshnitzamagid med the na'ayim melech the breslev the blin the Khidusha harim. <S preachers> a eh? You don't care. 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 You don't <laughs> the was in the Sivish Shalom of the Litwish, the Chsidish, the Divrei oil, the Satmerov. It's a hundred maises from the Satmerov of them. Huh? Have <laughs> the the a lot. It <laughs> yeah. no, no, no. was in the Shalom. It's a hundred maises of them, of the Satmerov. Yeah, yeah, there's other Yeah.
0: <laughs> the
1: Litwish Rosh Yeshiva and in the Chsidish, very nice. Well, the and the Gerreb, well, the the Majitzer, the Sadeger, the
0: the
1: the have the people are going to be the prostate, the are going to be the don't What? What? Let's do it all. Let's do it The Balshamtev. i to the Balshamtev. I'm not going to talk Look, every word of Balshamtev what I'm I'm a Oh The Bershawarsker. I'm going to when is I don't know what you say? I don't know what not know know what he said. not know what he don't know what he said. not know what he said. I don't know what he said. I don't know said. I do don't is ganz Is bij appel of Wie gewinnt aan kinner? gescholten? <inaudible> okay, I'm not going to learn about the Shabbos, I'm not going to learn about the Malachi, I'm not going to learn about the Psech and about the Shabbos. The way the anyway. word from the B'me'e from the Shabbos? Right the way word from the B'me'e from the square Rebbe. Yeah, yeah, the Alta square. <inaudible> the Alta square. Yankil Galinsky was a relative of mine. Yeah. Zeh <laughs> 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 <See
2: you're
1: saying. laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> das <I> <laughs> so again, You heard what I said before about therapy.
0: Yeah.
1: Oh, end- therapy mm-hmm. Ah, the, the, the mission is <laughs> in <Sanhedrin>. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, but the Gemara is amru as a philosopher. ben <laughs> He gemara the territories. He with not The Mishnah is so, the Gemara, the Deutsche, the the Deutsche, the Deutsche, the Deutsche, the Deutsche, the the Deutsche, the Deutsche, the Deutsche, the Deutsche, the Deutsche, the the Deutsche, the Deutsche, the the Deutsche, the Deutsche, the Deutsche, the the Deutsche, the Deutsche, the Deutsche, the the Deutsche, the Deutsche, the 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 it's a very good word. And he said, He who is a man who is a man who is a man who is a And he said, He whos a man whos a man whos a man whos a man whos he said, I have a child. I have a child. I have a child. I have a child. I have a was the great important thing the whole world. I have a child. I a child. I have a child. I have a child. I have a a child. I have a child. I a child. I have a child. I have a child. I have the child. I have that there are children who don't have any of us, in a It's a simon. A look at the of the and say, the But those who the only one in the who know the image the Bible, the of the Bible, when I touch us in the Haggadah, it's like the text in the Haggadah. Baruch Hamakim, Baruch Hu, Baruch HaNoson Ter-El-Lam Yisrael, Baruch Hu, the first one is the the four Baruch, it's the four Kinder. It's not Baruch HaMakam. But that's the reason, the Baruch Hu, a very sinister, but Baruch, the is the is Echad. It's a very good boy, dacht Sach. a very a very good a very
0: good
1: boy. It's a very good boy. It's Huh? I was talking about you too, that God loves you too. I know, I have the
0: opposite
1: problem, You. I see. Experience. I actually have it in my room. Right nice. Jerusalem, the olive shop in, in Jerusalem and I had a maintenance. It's in, a beautiful Posik, huh? Me, I'm like, no, I opened the Shirashim and I showed it to her and she was like, Well wow. So thank you very much. Yeah. Also, I was Machavan, this Posik was up your alley. I was machaven to your soul. Yeah. Okay. Very
0: good.
1: Yes, 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 as yes, yes, v'ale v'ale is yes, 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 Moshe's, is snore, you snore, hey, Moshe, I'm in Zich.
0: are
1: Beautiful. You told me a few years ago. Yeah. Please do. Where is it? Parsh's Tazaria, yeah? Ahmed Aleph, Ahmed Bez. Zoya Tazaria, Memdal, the Khlakokta. (laughs) Ah, Shimon Schwab, am say of Koila Nois Halusha yeah? Koila Nois Halusha, yeah? No, He says in his He
0: says in in
1: this class is brought to you by the Yeshiva.net.